Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Over there in Los Angeles, California, it's Mr. Evan Swords of 49ers Hub and another new addition to the facial hair uh, just style. Uh, it's never the same with Evan Swords. He's always, you know what it is? Evan's in a committed relationship again. And when Evan's in a committed relationship, and this is uh, all guys who have a serious girlfriend, wife, whatever, you can experiment, man. You can There's do a no mustache. Rules. No rules whatsoever. You're not trying to impress anybody anymore. You can do whatever you want to do. What are we calling what you've got right now, Evan? I mean, like, you know, it's not really anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's just a matter of, like, one day I was shaving. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't ever have, like, a goatee or anything. I just let, like, my facial hair grow out a little bit because I'm not a real man and can't grow a real beard. <laughs> Same. So, like, the best that I can do is just, like, a 5 o'clock shadow for always. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just was shaving, and I was like, oh, I'll just leave the part where the mustache is off. And then I just slowly was like, oh, if you just, like, because I've never really, like, had a mustache. I was like, if you just mm -hmm. let it keep growing and then keep trimming, like, it'll eventually get more full. Long story short, I'm 34 years old and realized I could have a mustache. So I'm just kind of playing, you know, I'm just let, letting it letting it play out. Uh, as you mentioned, yeah, it's because I have a girlfriend. There's no rules. Nothing matters. She, she's, she's got no choice. She's not going anywhere. We have a dog together. Where's she going to run? Exactly. Uh, it's just she's locked in. She uh, she made her choice. Um, man, what a week, uh, week one action. And we'll get into that in a second, especially with our two teams where just nothing but sadness. And I sent you a text uh, today of just like the stat that the because of the Giants win on Sunday, the Falcons now have the longest uh, under 500 streak uh, in football dating back five years now uh, since the last time the Atlanta Falcons were over 500. Um, so pretty bleak uh, state of pretty affairs bleak. I in would Atlanta. Say pretty bleak. Pretty bleak. And your football team uh, going down in the monsoon uh, in Chicago to the hapless Chicago Bears. Both of our teams 0-1 after the weekend. But before we get into that, before we get into that, folks, guess what? You can watch this very program on YouTube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. So I appreciate you guys watching on YouTube right now. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, all of our episodes up on the YouTube page each and every day. Clips, all that good stuff on YouTube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Check out all the other great shows across the Blue Wire Pod Network. Um, we got Greenlight uh, with Chris Long. That's uh, in full form with the NFL season uh, going on. Spinsters. We got uh, Wide Receiver One with Chris Carter. All kinds of great shows all across our network. So go check those out today if you have not already done so. Then, of course, if you are an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener, please, please, please make sure that you're already subscribed, which is important uh, for this daily show. But also leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Or else. Or else, as Evan. Uh, and he's serious. Evan's and also, like, I have really, like, he, you know, Chase has dope posters on the wall. Mm. I've got Robin Williams, which if you're a podcast <laughs> listener, you're probably very curious what that even means. Because my wall is Robin Williams and the Avengers. As yeah. Like, which is like, really, I mean, like Robin Williams is really like an honorary member of the Avengers anyway. So like, mm. I'm sure you want to know what that's all about. And you want to see the mustache, right? Or like whatever, you know, like the mustache, right? Mm -hmm. Barely, barely happening. So lots, lots to check out on YouTube. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Evan Swartz, let's start with your team. The Why? San Francisco 49. <laughs> 
what happened? So for the folks who did not watch the monsoon, the what are we calling it? The mud bowl, the what the I mean, just I don't know what to call what happened in San Francisco uh, versus Chicago on Sunday afternoon. For folks who were not watching that live and did not watch that game, what happened and why did the San Francisco 49ers lose to the Chicago Bears on Sunday afternoon? So, I mean, like the things that you need to understand when you think about this game is it was literally like some of the worst rain in a football game I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, Last year, I went to the 49ers Indianapolis Colts game in San Santa Clara, well, in Santa Clara, uh, and there was a bomb cyclone. I don't hmm. even know what that means, but it, th- there was a storm that was so aggressive that it was categorized scientifically as a bomb cyclone. There was, to me, more rain at the Chicago 49ers game uh, this Sunday. It was insane. Before the game even started, they had to pull the tarps, and like literally within minutes, there were pools. I, it should have been, I mean, it's rain, but the game should have been canceled. Like hmm. it should have been like rescheduled or something. It was an insane thing. I am going to sound like a 49ers homer. It's, it's fine. Uh, but I would, I, I would, I would, I would suggest that you actually watch the game if you can. So you can see that I'm not joking. Uh, the 49ers, whenever they had the ball, it was pouring rain. And whenever Chicago, there was like two drives, the two drives that Chicago scored, the rain slowed down. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, it was insane. But that outside of that, what we did see, uh, the 49ers had a record, not a record, but like an insane 12 penalties for something like over 100 yards, uh, penalty yards. Uh, just the penalties were insane. They were very undisciplined. They allowed Justin Fields to extend drives. Uh, like plainly put, Justin and Trey both didn't look good, but they shouldn't have because the rain was insane. Total passing yards for the San Francisco 49ers was 155 yards, 105 passing yards for the Chicago Bears. Uh, rushing yards, the Bears didn't even break 100 yards. They had 99. The The rushing yards for the 49ers was 176, which sounds good, but when you realize that it was really just Trey Lance rushing the ball with 54 yards and Debo but 52 yards. Um, it, it was just an ugly game. Uh, we weren't able to see much from Trey Lance, but like, how can you? Uh, Debo had two drops. Um, you know, they 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 tried to get uh, Trey, you know, Trey scrambled a few times. There was a couple, there's two QB power runs. I, you know, I'm, I talked a, a little bit after the game about how hilarious that it is or how ironic that it is being a 49ers fan, having to live within this Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo discourse for the last year and even especially this offseason. Right. And it got to the point, you know, as preseason started to come and, you know, all of these things like as a 49ers fan, you're just like, I just don't care anymore. I just want to see Trey play. Like I'm so over the discourse, the takes, the Jimmy nonsense, all of it. I'm just ready to watch Trey Lance go out there and play football. And God said, too bad. So much rain. No one's going to be able to do anything. So here we are as 49ers fans. Like we still don't really have anything to really go off of. Like Trey had a couple of really awesome throws. There was one in particular where he like threw the ball over two defenders and it was gorgeous, but like it wasn't enough. So we are going to be waiting till next week uh, when they play Seattle at home. 
breaking news 40 40 chance of rain again likely won't Oof. be that likely won't be that bad so it does still sound like we'll be able to see uh you know it should be fine but you know we we just we wanted to see, we were so, so you're excited. not hitting the panic button like it's just the elements thing no, I mean, like, literally, if you watch the game, I'm not joking you. There were not puddles. There were pools, <laughs> literal pools. You could, like, uh, I forget. It was, like, Michelle Tafoya. I don't know who it was. The the on-field reporter was, like, recording herself, posting Twitter, like, on Twitter. Yeah. Of her just, like, walking in pools of water, like, just going, this is insane. I don't understand. You know, like, it, mm-hmm. it was, I've never seen anything. Like, I was at a game myself. That was so much rain, and this looked worse. I seem to recall you going to this game. I remember yeah. this. This has been since you've been doing the pod. Was that well, last year or two years ago? That was last year. Yeah, um, that's what it was. But the, to, to the actual point of the game, though, what we did see, uh, they, did, they didn't get Brandon Ayuk the ball really at all. He had a couple really good catches, um, but we I wanted to see him get the ball. The run game never got going. I mean, 176 yards rushing, you'd think that that means the running game got going. But really, when you think about it, 106 of the you know 164 yards came from Trey and Debo. Mm-hmm. Elijah Mitchell uh, had six, six for 41, 6.8 yards of carry. So it was, you know, he's like doing okay. Jeff Wilson, though, was the one that got the, the, the majority of the carries. He had nine carries for 22 yards. Hmm. 2.4 yards per carry. Uh, as far as the offense is considered, as a 49ers fan, I'm very confused. You <laughs> go into the game and you're like, all right, well, you know, obviously Debo's going to have the most targets. Then, you know, hopefully Brandon Ayuk, because he had this insane, you know, offseason and preseason and all the above. No, Tennessee legend, Juan Jennings. Hey, uh, he, it, very much so a Tennessee legend. He he had uh, the most yards. He had six targets. Debo mm. had eight. Brandon had two. He shared the same amount of targets as Ray Ray McLeod, who is a special teams player and barely a receiver, if you're really looking at it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there was one play where he threw the ball to Tyler Croft, and it, if he would have thrown it correctly, it would have been absolute touchdown, but it was a bad throw. I don't know, man. It was a weird game. I'm ready to move to week two. You didn't have the only weird game. And look, I don't know what would be worse is like opening up with a loss in the monsoon to uh, the Chicago Bears, who many folks thought could be the worst team in football this year. Um, But let me tell you, there aren't quite kick in the nuts games quite like what we saw Sunday with the with the Falcons, my friend. Um, This was atrocious in so many levels because there were so many positives to take away from this game, Evan. Like I was feeling great. Like in the first half, this was a different Falcons team. The offensive line was good throughout. Like the offensive line has made strides, like with bad players by and large right. in a lot of those spots. Like the offensive line's fine. Marcus Mariota had some horrific plays. Like Marcus Mariota was still fine in the first half, but your guy, Mariota, some awful fumbles, not knowing where where he was in the field on a fumble. Like just some really I mean, yeah. just so Falcons-esque plays in this one. Kyle Pitts, not, uh, he's still just not breaking out as a weekly weapon. But Drake London is going to be a big-time player. He was great over the middle and uh, had a lot of great crossing routes, and he's going to be fine. Uh, Brian Edwards getting his uh, cardio in, uh, as he will do each week. Uh, no targets, just cardio for our guy, Mr. Edwards. Uh, but they were able to run the ball. Cordero was, the, the lanes were open. Like, the offensive line was good. 
the pass rush was there. Grady Jarrett was an absolute monster in this one. Um, by and large, the defense held their own and was getting after uh, James Winston. I think four sacks total in this one. But they were great. And then they just imploded in the second half. They imploded where everything that could have gone wrong. I mean, the awful uh, kick deep. That was never going to happen with Koo. But just imploding the way they did. Not being able to shut down Michael Thomas late. The defense just bending and... I mean, this was just the fumbles were terrible. You just needed one more first down late to ice it. And you're just like sick to your stomach. Because like, if you look in a vacuum of like what the actual stats were, you would be happy if you're a Falcons fan, right? Like this is all positives for year two with this administration. The problem is you should have won this game. The problem is how the it happened, how the final result came to be, where you blew another big lead in the Arthur Smith era. And you're like, what are we doing? Like, this is, this cannot continue to happen. And Arthur Smith gave a very Belichickian uh, press conference after, and this is something that needs to end sooner rather than later, of just, uh, the media's already buried us. You guys buried us. We're blah, blah, blah. And it's like, whoa, 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 man. Like, uh, this is week one. Like, the media is not that serious. Like, in Atlanta, it's right. fine. Jeff Schultz is not coming for your job. It's, uh, it's going to be all right. Um, I just, I don't know, man. Like, I don't really get that kind of defensiveness from him, but there was a lot of positives. And when the Falcons get a few more playmakers and they get a quarterback, like that's going to be nice. A quarterback who doesn't fumble and do uh, bad things and is a little bit more accurate with the ball and finds Kyle Pitts a little bit more. Um, things will be returning, but this, the scheme works. Arthur Smith is a good <laughs> schemer and the scheme works and the Falcons well, are better. They're just going to continue to kill me in a multitude so of ways. Here's the thing that I, I just don't think is, like long-term Corderell Patterson, 22 carries. He's awesome. He's a running back now, man. I mean, yeah, I get, I understand that, but Marcus Mariota, 12 carries. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm over here watching, you know, QB powers of Trey Lance. Like, <laughs> is it, am I like so old fashioned? Like, I, I mean, as a Niners fan watching this, like, you know, you have Taysom Hill as a leading rusher for the saints. Like, can we just have running backs and receivers? Can we go back to th like throwing your receiver the ball, like getting the ball? Like, I just like, I don't know. This is just so weird. It's like everyone is trying so hard to do things so differently right now. It is Marriott just, is like, the 13th leading rusher in the NFL, by the way. I know. I'm telling you, like, it's wild. I, by the way, I, I am, I'm glad that Mariota, uh, you know, had some, positives there but like i literally said it on your podcast mm. i said it word for word i go marcus Mariota is going to do a good enough job to keep you in the game to the last second and it'll look halfway decent and then you'll lose and it'll be an elegant tank i literally said that this is an here elegant we go. Tank. here we go till the last yeah i mean saints score 17 points in the fourth quarter they the falcons score three and they lose by one point. It's the dumbest thing. This it's all so dumb. Are you this so was, where where's your like overall expectations for the team long term? Well, we know what they can be. And I mean, this can be a good team. I mean, Mariota, if you need him to go deep at any point in the game, you're in trouble. Um, that's out of the the playbook. I don't think we're gonna see any deep bombs to Kyle Pitts or uh Brian Edwards anytime soon. Um, but 
I don't know if the defense can do this week in, week out. I don't know if the pass rush is going to do this week in, week I don't know if the offensive line, if that offensive line is real that we saw this week and that Elijah Wilkinson and Drew Dahlman are that good and that, that those adjustments from moving on from Mayfield and Matt Hennessy are where they need to be because Lindstrom's a great player and McGarry held his own too. That like, okay, that changes some stuff a little bit. But by and large, I am now, we are marching towards the worst record in the NFL. I think this team is going to implode sooner rather than later. And I just, the Mariota stuff, I don't know. He's, like you said, he's running a lot. He's 13 leading rusher in the NFL. He's going to get hit and it's going to be like week four, week five. He's just gone and Ritter time and just, I don't know. This is a bad football team. The talent's not there. You said this yourself. You just said like, you know, they're going to be one one of the worst teams, the best pick in the draft type thing. Mm. Week one is never normal. I don't mm-hmm. expect week one to be, you know, like I don't expect the 49ers to be losing the teams like the Bears at the end yeah. of the year. But whatever. But like, let's look at week one and we'll go through it all. But I mean, just like from the idea of like who's going to be the worst team, every team that you thought was going to be the worst team, I think won this week, other than like maybe the Lions. Well, a bunch of playoff teams lost. Right. Bunch and of that's my point. Year, yeah. Like the Commanders won, mm. the Giants won, right? Like, the Seahawks won, like, and once again, we'll get into it, but like, there's like, one, yeah. Nothing makes sense today. No, I'm sorry. Watch your mouth. <laughs> well, I mean, the Raiders were in the playoffs last year and they lost. The Bengals yeah. lost to the Steelers. Like, you go up and down this list, man. A lot of teams from a year ago who were in the playoffs. Are, I mean, are we just chalking it up to week one being weird? Yes, because week one is now, I forgot who it was that said this, that week one is now the like the fi- the real preseason game for these teams because so many guys don't play in the preseason anymore. That like week one's basically a preseason week for most of these teams. Isn't that so funny? It's like you guys got an extra week just to get rid of the preseason week. Like, Yeah. So now we just use it as actual football. So that maybe that's why they moved it to a 17-game season is that like instead of like the, it's still a 16-game season, but week one is basically the one preseason game that they take uh, take seriously. Um, it's when the game actually counts. Um, but we'll see what ultimately happens here. Uh, for you, Evan, what was the most surprising result on Sunday or Monday? I mean – as a 49ers fan, I think I got a pretty strong case saying them going, uh, them losing against the, the Bears. No, you can't do your own team. No, I, you're no, no, team. no. Yeah. Hold on. Let me get through it. I think I would be making a strong case, but I mean, this week, above and beyond, the Seahawks Oof. with Geno Smith beating the Russell Wilson Broncos mm. after they traded and paid him all that money. How is that not the answer? Can I say I mean, this? And I feel like as a Seahawk, as a as a 49ers fan that has been watching this evil black magic voodoo whatever nonsense that is the Seahawks for a decade, I've been watching it happen. I've been watching them win games. I, I still was surprised. We were all surprised, but also, look, here's something that's weird. And this is like a Twitter thing, I think, where I saw a lot of people who were just like, whoa classless by seattle to boo russell wilson as he's coming out on the field and how could you boo russell wilson there (laughs) booing is just a fun thing to do at a sporting event where you're like this used to be our guy and he asked for a trade and wanted out of our team booing is not like this just a horrific thing that you could 
throwing something or doing like going pet like that's not crossing the line no. is booing and i think people have gone way too far where it's like these athletes do not deserve to be booed for doing what's best interest of them it's like look that's fun that's a fun that's part of going to a sporting event he's yeah. a villain now in seattle that's okay i i think too i think everyone wants to take things so serious yeah unless it unless it benefits them like the reality is if Matt Ryan goes back to Atlanta and they boo Matt Ryan, that would be, that'd be messed up. But it's also a different circumstance. Matt didn't want to leave. But that's my point. Matt didn't want to leave. Matt left on good standing. The team traded him. The team tried to get Deshaun Watson. Like in those circumstances and context, sure. That would be really weird to boo Matt Ryan. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened. Yes. Russell Wilson has been getting, they've been trying to trade him for five years. He hates the team. The team hates him. Right. All There's the real animosity there. We're literally like clapping at his demise. Every mm-hmm. like Doug Baldwin, Richard Sherman, every single one of them were so happy that he lost tonight. Yeah. Obviously, like the the city of Seattle gets to mirror that. Why wouldn't you boo him? That's fun. It's a sports thing. We're like we are. Right. We got. We won the marriage. Like we won the divorce, but, basically. But it's like. The Philadelphia Eagle fans booed Santa Claus. Yeah. That's just how the booing is not serious. Exactly. The act of booing is not a serious thing. It does not mean anything. Most of the it's time. It's not I disrespectful. Say, like, it's not you know, crossing a line. Like booing is not crossing a line. Booing is meant to be a fun part of the sport experience. Yes. I 100% agree. Um, now saying anything, cro- turning that into anything else, saying crazy stuff to these athletes, saying really really derogatory or, or cr- like when the seattle seahawks fans threw popcorn on navarro bowman after he tore his acl and the, that's that, not good that's right. crossing the line those are like we can look at those two things are not the same they're not the same thing uh booing okay shout out to seattle for booing russell wilson it made it more fun and it made it also made the game more interesting it's like yeah there was animosity the crowd was into this game more because they wanted to see russell wilson fail and i have i have I have been living in the Pacific Northwest for the majority of my life, telling mm. people that the twelfth man is the corniest stuff on earth. But you got to admit, it probably made a difference last night. Can you mm. imagine being Russell Wilson and you're like, "Oh God, we might lose this game," and all of a sudden the crowd is going nuts, and you're like, "This is my old crowd." Like I am, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but like it had to have gotten to his head a little bit. I just, I also think, I mean, can we also mention just what happened with this coaching job, the debut from Nathaniel Hackett here? I mean, Peyton Manning, shout out to Peyton, losing his absolute mind on the broadcast, (laughs) just the meltdown of what's happening where he's realizing uh, that this is not happening. Like him trying to be, it's amazing because Peyton is such a um, mindful public figure that he was having to like balance in his head in that moment of like cursing up a storm and being like what the what is happening what are you doing no 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 and also being like i'm on the air i'm on espn right now i've got to pretend to be like an analyst and juggle this it was wild to watch in real time that, he that, was baffled that was my favorite part because yeah like you mentioned like Peyton manning is so good at on-screen presence and he's very mm-hmm. good about being fun and playful and you know he's a smart guy yeah but my favorite part was like you could see there was this moment where like the reality <laughs> that this they were wasting 35 seconds of 55 seconds mm. in time 
the reality was setting in where he was like, I like he couldn't control his body. He went from mm. being like, I'd probably take a time out here if it were me to being like, call, call, call like using the hand gesture, like calling the T and he's like, call, call, yeah. call time out. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, it was incredible. And it then was, to kick a t- field goal anyway. And just, I mean, that was unbelievable. And then you have Hackett after the game. He's like, yeah, looking back at it, I probably, uh, we definitely should have gone for it. Yeah. You should have gone for it more than five over there. Yeah, no, you should have gone for it. What are you doing? Why did you burn that? I cannot believe how bad it really was. Like that is one of the all time worst debuts. I mean, goodness gracious, man. Like that is one of the worst coaching debuts. My favorite thing of of all the tweets that I saw, they were like, only one time in NFL history has anyone kicked a field goal that that long. Yeah. One time in NFL history. He goes, how many people have converted a fourth and five? How many times is a fourth and five? It's like one time in NFL history versus uh, how many times is a fourth and five? When you paid. Russell Warren Sharp Wilson. has this tweet. Did you Are you talking about the Warren Sharp tweet? Where he said, like, Brian McManus's career history on 62 plus yard field goals. 62 in 2016, miss. 2018, miss. 2021, miss. 64 yards in 2019, miss. 64 in 2022, miss. 70 in 2021, miss. It's not happening. You just paid Russell Wilson all this money to convert on fourth and five in these moments. That's the whole point of Russell Wilson. I I, I gotta say, having Russell Wilson handcuffed in Seattle for all those years... (laughs) Just to get to force a trade to get sent to Denver, little Broncos country, let's ride. Mm-hmm. To have the exact same thing happen again, where his coach doesn't put the ball in his hand at the end of the game. I I I was like, this is like sweet poetry. If it wasn't for the fact that the Seattle Seahawks won, I would have really enjoyed it. This was wild. And also shout out to Geno Smith, man. Great moment for him. 23-28, yeah. uh Hunter. Uh, 95 yards two tds no no picks in this one um just it was a he didn't do a crazy amount he had some big throws uh did what he needed to do didn't have any bad turnover worthy plays like found will dizzy on a cool touchdown um i mean look this was this is what they needed to be and i don't know if this is sustainable i would bet on the seahawks still having a pretty rough season but like this was their Super Bowl, and this is—it should come as no surprise that this game blew all kinds of ratings and was just a heavily watched Monday Night Football game. And it was—it was great. It, it felt like a big moment. And Monday Night Football feeling like a big, everybody watching it at the same time thing feels cool. Um, so Aikman and Buck being there and having the Manning cast and all that—it was a—it was a fun big deal. Um, what does? On Sunday Night Football, we also saw a new broadcast team, Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth, which is fine. Just not as good as Al and uh, Collinsworth. Maybe it'll get better. Collinsworth's voice was tossed. Yes. His voice was terrible. Um, But the Bucks win. Julio Jones has a great debut uh, in a Tampa Bay uniform. Mixed emotions about that. But the Bucks really never in doubt in this one. And now... Dak Prescott, who leaves the game uh, with an injury to his hand, he needs surgery. I don't know if he's already gotten it or not as of this recording, but he's gone for the foreseeable future. And the thin Dallas Cowboys, who just went into this year needing really perfect injury luck, is not getting perfect injury luck. And 
this is weird because you and I, we had Dalton Miller on this podcast uh, a few months ago. Something he said was like, this is kind of a gap year where like McCarthy will probably get fired. This they did. They lost Mari Cooper. They lost a lot of guys there. They were in cap issues. But next year, they'll be able to reevaluate, clean some stuff up and really go back all in. Zeke's uh, cap hit won't be as bad. They can make some moves and contend again realistically. That they missed their moment. Like last year was the San Francisco game. Like that was their moment. Yeah. This year, it just doesn't feel like that's uh, going to be the case. And now, you're Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you do Jimmy Garoppolo for Tony Pollard, Evan Swartz? Yeah, I mean, do you of, course, do that? of course, I would do that. But they already yeah. said basically that Jerry Jones already said that he wasn't going to do that. I think, I, you know, I have like I said between Dalton. Uh, shout out to Dalton Miller of Pro mm. Football. Uh, Pro, um, PFN yeah. Pro Football Network, yeah. Pro Football Network. Um, I was talking to a lot of my friends today who are Cowboys fans, and it's like, you know, this this wasn't that strong of a roster. Like the, mm. la- the last few years, right? This is definitely not the strongest roster the Cowboys have had. I it, it was really like, I think it was just basically cutting the cord early. Mm-hmm. It was putting Cowboys fans out of their misery right away. Get you know like uh, start focusing on the Mavericks. I don't know what they're gonna do, but like the Cowboys season, I I've uh, it's been a long time since a team with that no notoriety, their season is just immediately over, right? It's immediately over. Like that's that is the reality of it. And you know Jerry Jones is like, oh well, we're gonna try and make sure that he's ready by week four. It's like no, it's an eight week injury. He's gone, and it's also his throwing hand, isn't it? Right. Yeah, it's just he's not going to be right this year. That's it's just, like, just that's like over. Russell Wilson last year when yeah. they tried to force him back. So for me, I think Mike McCarthy, they said today that like they're talking about it and they're saying that like Mike McCarthy still doesn't even know like the the you know the terminology of the offense. It's been his third year and he still doesn't <laughs> know the terminology. Like I, Mike McCarthy, we talked about it on the podcast however many years ago. I was like, they didn't even try. They mm-hmm. immediately hired him. And it's just such a Jerry Jones thing. As, Jer- as long as Jerry Jones is the owner, he, this 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 team will struggle, right? Mike McCarthy will get fired as he should. He's a terrible coach who, you know, basically existed on the back of Aaron Rodgers for a decade. Um, you know, Zeke's contract is one of the worst contracts in the NFL. Uh, you know, he's not even the best running back on his team. Dak, you know... My guy, Dak has gone through a lot of injuries at this point. And everybody has always thought that Dak's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You got to start to wonder when, like, the damage to, to the body, like, all of the, the injuries. Like, it, like you know. I mean, he's this- been multi. He's still been healthy. He hasn't missed a lot of time as a pro to this point. He's just been I mean, banged up and he's played hurt. Like, that's the thing is he plays. Like, Dak Prescott's a player, dude. But no, yeah, like regardless of Dak, if Dak's a player, like he's had some major injuries. But what I'm, I mean, he's what? What year is this for him? Year f- three, seven. This is year seven for him. I mean, he played all 16 games his first four, played all 16 in 2021. I mean, the injury in the 2022 COVID or 2020 like, COVID it's year. It's like, it's, it's all different. He's been mostly healthy. Like, like he, you know, he snapped his ankle in half and was out for the entire year, right? Mm. Um, having you know, like the calf strain, the shoulder stuff, like whatever. But like, it's a big injury. Yeah, this is a big injury to his throwing hand. Like, I hope he comes back perfectly, perfectly healthy. But like, when you have a quarterback like this that are on these big contracts, right? Like, it's all in. Like, 
you have that short window when they're rookies, you give them the contract that's even more all in mm. and they already missed. So it's like the year's over. He'll probably come back healthy. They'll miss the playoffs. Cause I think the Eagles are going to win. Uh, we'll see what the happens with the giants. The giants played pretty well. Um, but I don't know, man, I'm really curious what's next for the Cowboys. Like what does next year look like for the Cowboys? Who's the head coach? What's going Kellen on Moore. with Dak? I mean, is it Kellen Moore? Probably, my guess. I, you know, there's gotta be a reason. Uh, he he could have left so many different times. I just I feel like he's been the head coach in waiting. They're gonna do the Jason Garrett thing where they went from didn't they go from Wade Phillips to uh, yeah. The good Jason news Garrett. is they've got Diggs and they've got Parsons and they've got some really good young core pieces. So we'll see what happens. But the Cowboys season is over. It's one of the quickest. Uh, endings of a season for a fan base I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, I, you know, I hate the Cowboys and I hate the fans. And even me, I was like, Oh, that's kind of terrible. Like I feel bad. Um, but they are, uh, I think the only, uh, only team to lose in the division this week, right? Eagles. They were the only team in the NFL to not score a touchdown week. one. Um, I'm not a believer in the commanders after that win against the Jags. Uh, Wentz had some really bad picks. Trayvon Walker had a crazy one in uh, in that one. But I also will say, like, the Lions stuff, like, it's just not happening. The offense still is not good. Uh, the offense just not good. I mean, they scored 35 points. The offense wasn't good. They scored 35 points. The, Listen, the wins aren't coming. Jared the, Goff the, is not good. Right. DeAndre Swift looked good. Jamal Williams didn't look good. You know, he's a goal. The defense looks better, though. Yeah. Rodriguez, that linebacker, he looks like he's going to be a player, but I don't know. I mean, it's just, you could just make the case that Jared Goff is maybe Listen, the worst starting quarterback in the NFL right now. Whoever is the head coach of the Detroit Lions next year, whether it is Campbell or not, will have a, will have a very strong foundation for a team to build. I am. I'm wishing them best for the Lions. They've been so bad for so long. I want them to. I want them to compete with the Packers. You know, I we want all do. <laughs> but it's but just it like this uh, year. I don't know, man. I just. I don't see it. I, I think this is still another bad, bad year for, uh, for the Lions. Um, was it the right call for Levy Smith uh, to play for the tie late in Houston, Indianapolis? Houston Indi- should have won this game, by the way. And Indianapolis came all the way back uh, late. Matt Ryan drove the team back, and they had the just a game from hell. Jonathan Taylor went off uh, for the most part, but it's not a lot of skill position talent for Matt Ryan to throw to. Uh, it's basically Michael Pittman and friends like Alec Pierce. Maybe will be a guy eventually, but um, just not a lot of high-profile wideouts for him. But Levy Smith uh, had a fourth and three at midfield. There were 26 seconds remaining in overtime, and he punted to uh, play for the tie. And he said the reason he punted, quote, there's a lot of football left to go in the season. It's kind of as simple as that. Um, I felt like a tie was better than a potential loss defensively. We weren't really stopping them an awful lot at the end. Um, This did not matter with 26 seconds. I don't know what you're saving in that scenario. You've already gone to overtime, so that – statement doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever because it's not like you're going to double overtime if you uh go for it and, and you're tied like i don't understand that logic whatsoever the 26 seconds being the difference uh between how tired your team is throughout the course of a 17 game season but uh i didn't agree with it like you're the texans you're gonna be awful this year 
keep trying like go for the win who knows like you don't know what's going to happen there um i don't know what did you make of that decision and would you have gone for it like a lot of bad coaching moves a lot of coaches playing it safe this week well you have to understand that like no head coach ever wants to admit their team is as bad as they are or they're like to me if you're the texans like especially is this a division game mm-hmm. right week one you only get so many division games if you're the texans and you're honest with yourself about your team Go for the win. Mm. Oh, well, we're going to play for the tie. You never know. Dude, you need all the help that you can get. If you want to win and it's a division game, go for the win. Mm-hmm. You got the Titans in the division, right? The Colts have Matt Ryan now. Like, the, the, it's a narrow window. So, I, you know, I don't know if he wants to be that that honest with himself, right? But then again, like you should lovey Smith basically got the head coaching position because there was no one left. Right. Like it's just like kind of a last second hire Texans were a mess post, you know, Deshaun Watson, all that thing, all the things that are going on there. Like you would expect. What do you have to lose? Like who cares? Like, what are we doing? Like Davis Mills is your quarterback. Just go for it. What are we doing? I just, I cannot stand stuff like that um evan your biggest week one overreaction is what well i can't say the 49ers no you can't say the 49ers Mm -hmm. my biggest week one could be a player performance it could be a team performance i mean i would definitely say I mean, there's a lot of bad, a lot of good teams that lost football games, mm. and I, I don't think I'm gonna, I'm gonna be worried about them down the road. Mm. Uh, I think who are my, you least worried about? Who lost on Sunday? Are we talking about the regular season, regular season of the playoffs? Because if we're only talking about the regular season, I would say Aaron Rodgers, right? Mm. Aaron Rodgers had a terrible game. The mm. Vikings stomped the Packers out, right? Like Justin Jefferson, I, man player i expect a lot more out of aaron Rodgers throughout the season um yeah justin jefferson man he is fantastic he is that good it is really sad having brandon Ayuk, which i think is like also a very talented receiver and it's like yeah. they just put the ball in jefferson's hand no matter what and he gets after it so I'm not, I think the, I'm not worried about the Packers. The Packers will find their way to win 11 or 12 games, right? Rodgers will have a crazy season. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm not worried about their regular season. They'll fumble in the playoffs. They'll fold in the playoffs, but I'm not worried about their regular season. I'm not either. I think it's going to be fine. I think they're going to figure out the receivers, Christian Watson and Romeo dubs and all those guys. I think it's just new. Like, Rodgers has not built this chemistry with any of these young guys yet. And I think he will. I, I think they're pretty talented. I think they'll be fine. I, I would agree with you that the Packers losing. That was like the Viking Super Bowl where they had to do this to kind of like it's in Minnesota. You want to start off hot, new coach, new general manager. You want to get that excitement back with Kirk back for another year. And that's what you're supposed to do uh, with yeah. the Packers getting used to stuff. I and mean, that's a that was a big win. And also great atmosphere. Minnesota fans, mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota, underrated sports city and underrated fan base, like very, very strong turnout for that one. I would say my one that I would not overreact to that I or that I would my immediate overreaction was 
I think, hear me out. This is something that I've struggled with. The Saints are going to get better and better. Like, this is my reaction is like Peter King, Saints, and the Super Bowl thing. I'm like, you know, Michael Thomas went healthy. You know who looked really good yesterday, on Sunday? Jarvis Landry looked really good. You know who else looked good? Chris Olave looked really good. You go through it. Alvin Kamara wasn't even a factor uh, in the game plan for New Orleans, which was strange. They have a lot more playmakers than they did the last couple of years with Drew Brees. They were making do with nothing. Like Taysom Hill obviously had that crazy long run early in this one, and he punched it in. And Taysom Hill just carving your defense up is just uh, one of the more excruciating things you can experience as a fan. But the Saints, I think the defense is good, and I think they showed a lot of resolve to bounce back. Jameis had some huge throws. I think the Saints are going to be really good. So my overreaction might be that like Saints have some talent and they're going to be able to throw out some wideouts. If Michael Thomas is healthy, he had some crazy big time catches. If you're able to throw out Thomas Olave and um, Jarvis Landry a lot, I mean, Marcus Callaway, my another uh, VFL on deep go routes, they're deep. And I, I could see it. I could see what Peter King is thinking where if everything goes right, they could have a really, really good team. That's my reaction. I think uh, I'm buying some of that Kool-Aid. I mean, I'll say this. I expect the Saints to be a 9, maybe 10 win team. But re- I, I think 11 and 12, if everything's right, is a possibility. I, I really of course, do. But, of course, but that's like everything has to go right. I don't think they're that good. I'm still not worried. I mean, they play the Falcons. Mm. No offense. Um, you know, it's great to see Jarvis Landry get 114 yards. I love that. Michael Thomas, you know, two touchdowns. It's pretty great. You know, it's mm. like, it's, it's like Michael Thomas has been getting like, uh, just made, you know, made fun of. He's been getting trashed uh, for the last couple of seasons, slant boy, all the, whatever that they call him. He hasn't I'm just happy, played like the I'm dude ha- just hasn't played. I'm happy to see him do yeah. well, but it's the Falcons. Uh, I, I, well, I would like necessary, I, but that's my point though. I mean, like, they played Marcus Mariota and the Falcons. I mm. I don't know that if they're going to use Taysom Hill as a rusher, I don't think Taysom Hill is going to get average 20.2 yards per rushing every mm. single game, right? Like, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's going to work. Alvin Kamara only had 39 rushing yards, right? Alvin Kamara only had seven receiving yards. I don't know if this is a formula for success long-term. Mm. It might have been something that could only work against the Falcons. Mm. We'll see. Um, some bad news because I would, in a normal year, celebrate something like this. The Brownie the Elf is now the midfield logo for the Cleveland Browns. And unfortunately, because the Cleveland Browns um, have just shown themselves to be a horrific organization over the past several months, I can't celebrate this. But fans, I'm sure, love this because. Great logo. Brownie the Elf midfield. It's great. Great fan base. The dog pal. Like it's a it's a great move. Love stuff like that. It's unfortunate that uh we can't celebrate more and I, I don't want to see any victories with it, but Brownie the Elf. Big I fan. I mean the, the logo is terrifying though. That's creepy. what you want. You want that at midfield. You want to freak the it's defenses a, out. It's an elf. There's nothing intimidating <laughs> by an about an elf. It was creepy. Mm. And it was pretty fitting for the Browns. Um I yeah I don't know like the old logo of Brownie the Elf was like kind of fun and this one yeah. they like tried to make him look mean and int- intimidating it's like uh I don't know if that's what Brownie the Elf is all about but hey okay sure why not 
Dude, it reminds the elf me... I'm here for it. The the weird looking Brown of the Elf, the old one. They made him look strange, like weird. And he didn't used to look weird. He just used to look kind of terror. Like just I don't explain it. Like you would see <sighs> who does he remind me of? Like I'm looking at him right now with the ears and everything else. Like I don't know who who the best comparison would be. I'm trying to think of something. Uh but the old uh 49ers sourdough Sam logo. You know? You look that up. That sound oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Sam sourdough. Oh yeah. Oh yes. I see what you're yes. I could see it. They could be distant cousins. I'm yeah. here for it. You love that image, by the way, and had the the pain and everything is terrible during that uh game against the Bears where you had someone actually put him in the rain, right? Where everything is awful. Uh someone did that for you on Twitter. Yeah, someone actually did Photoshop like actual like like falling rain yeah shout uh, out to that guy yeah, that um great. we'll end on this evan it's Carter. time for our pickup like our week two picks where are we going because the thursday night game man i am hyped for an Jimmy. unreal thursday night out of the gate here the one thing i do want to say because we we missed mm. a lot but i i, I do want to cover a, a couple things yeah uh the steelers overrated not worried about it Shout out to Mike McDaniel. They also got killed with injuries. Huge win. Shout out to Mike McDaniel going for it on fourth and seven. Tyreek Hill said he's going to need a (laughs) wheelbarrow. Mm -hmm. Carry around those nuts. Love that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can say that, but I think I can. Yeah. Uh, Hey, man. Justin Herbert's the best quarterback in the NFL. Okay. That's that. I knew that. 280 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Throws that were unbelievable. He will end the year as the best quarterback in the NFL. We're talking about Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Both had fantastic days. By the way, I was also worried about the Chiefs, mm-hmm. right? Without Tyreek Hill, uh, I was wrong. They're fine. They're going to be fine. They're going to be just fine. So, but yeah, the, with that said, uh, I'm very excited too for Thursday. Oh, wow. Yeah, I. Uh, this is going to be fun. Patriots are in real trouble. I think Patriots are sneaky like this could be the end of the Belichick stuff where it's like that offense is atrocious and Mac Jones now hurt his back. Like the offense already didn't have a lot of skill talent, like huge win for the dolphins um, at home. And I just, I think this continued to spiral. Like I don't like any of the, I think new England could be awful this year. I think that's a very real possibility. And then it's like, well, how long does Belichick want to tarnish his resume and career? If he's like coaching a really awful football team for a couple of years at the tail end of this, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. We'll see. Panthers, horrific uh, blowout. Uh, just blew it uh, late against Cleveland. Let them really uh, come back and win that one. Uh, that was that was rough. Jacoby Brissett. So Baker Mayfield did not get his revenge over Cleveland. Um, Ravens just quietly decimate the Joe Flacco-led New York Jets. Flacco very much cooked, and the Jets did not have a great showing whatsoever. But Garrett Wilson, very fun in this one. Uh, the defense looked okay, but... Uh, like you said, that uh, that's about it. And the Titans, a little yeah. worried about uh, whether or not this is uh, nearing the end, and that they might be in some real trouble this year. This will be the this season will have the worst teams will have some of the the best records. Hmm. Like it'll be like when the Niners had the third pick with like five wins. Like okay, I think a lot of people are going to be really like there's not going to be any like two win team. Hmm. Right. Like, I think everybody's going to squeak some wins out. But let's go ahead and jump into our pick'ems. I'm very down for that. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready, sir. 
Okay, so we're going to start off Thursday night Chargers and Chiefs. You already know I am taking the Chargers going up against Goliath and Patrick Mahomes. Who do you got? Oh, Chiefs at home. Absolutely. Like just this is uh this is gonna be a fun back and forth game, but the the happy vibes. Like we have to disagree. Like I'm just gonna disagree on everything Chargers from here on out, just because uh the the just the way this is going on the podcast as a Joe Burrow disciple i've got to ride with my guy and you got to ride with your herbert uh, yeah guy. you're by the way joe burrow had five interceptions and still almost won the game dog like joe no, that, that, did not even wasn't phased he's still getting not, sacked a bunch his offensive line still know, stinks you he don't just, get to say that he's fine you know, what, you know how he all you know how he also would have almost won the game yeah not throwing five interceptions he wants to make it interesting oh my he god he is just you know like who the dude's unfazed throw a single interception last week who Justin Herbert. Yeah, he doesn't take the chances. Joe Burrow's out here. Doesn't take the chances. <laughs> anyways, yeah. anyways, mm-hmm. I think I think Justin Herbert is. I'm I'm very excited for Justin Herbert to have the challenge that is the Chiefs this week. It's mm. gonna be a great game. Uh, Patriots and Steelers. God, the Steelers are gonna do it again. They're gonna find a way to like win a bunch of regular season games while yes. still being a not that great team. Oh yeah, give me the Steelers here. This the Pats are awful. I think the Pats really are. People are not ready to talk about it because it's the Belichick thing and they have not worn that off yet. This Pat seems awful, and I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in football. Hey, trading for Jimmy G might be the one feel-good thing to get the Patriots going, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I will I will also take the Steelers. Giants, baby! Saquon Barkley is back! 2-0 and Giants? I'm down. I'm down. I love Saquon Barkley. I love Brian DeBowl. He was so fun watching how happy and excited he was with the players. Uh, Give me the Giants against the Panthers. Here's the thing. I'm going to flip the script. I think the Panthers get back and get a win here. I don't think the Giants are good. I think that still too much Kenny Galladay, a lot of good vibes. I'm not trusting Daniel Jones to keep this thing going. Kayvon Thibodeau, I think he's out for this one still. Like the Titans were just bad, and I don't, I don't know. Two and zero Giants is just still a little too much for me. Daniel Jones starting off that hot. Let me, let me get the Panthers in a rebound effort on the road. Uh, the Dave Gettleman Bowl is what they're calling it. Give me the Panthers. <laughs> All right, uh, and then from there we will go to a game that no one will want to watch: the Jets mm-hmm. and the Browns. I guess I'm taking the Browns just because. Joe Flacco is should have retired two years ago, but like, mm. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I hate this. The Browns are going to win this game. Flacco looked awful last week. Like he is cooked, cooked. And even if you throw in Mike White or whoever, like, no, I don't, I don't see it. The Browns are going to win this game. Hey, shout out to Lindsay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, friend of the pod, but yeah, your boy ain't it. Also, who's matching up with Mekhi Becton and whoever they brought in to replace Becton? Who was that? Uh, Dwayne Brown? Dwayne Brown, yeah. Who is matching up with Miles Garrett on the outside? Because I don't know if you saw what Miles Garrett was doing to the rookie from NC State in that week one action against the Panthers. He ruined his life. Miles Garrett might win Defensive Player of the Year. Like, I don't know who on the Jets' uh, offensive tackle front is going to be matched up with Miles Garrett, but they're going to get their ass kicked and the Browns are going to win handedly. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then from there, Colts and Jaguars. Uh, I feel Ooh. bad for Trevor Lawrence, by the way, the man had like, I think I saw like three, like really like important drops. Mm-hmm. I, I, he, I don't know how he continues to play for that franchise, but the Colts are going to win this game. Colts were bad last week. I, um, I don't know. The Jags were, they, sh- it was back and forth in that Washington game. They probably should have won that game. 
Um, this is tough. Like the Colts were my preseason AFC South winner. I don't know. Give me the Jags. I think I might. It's at home. I don't like what I saw from Indy last week. Last time I mean, Indy did everything that they're going to do. Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor got all of his fantasy points. Yeah. Right. Like Michael Pittman did his thing. Like, you know, they don't I, look I, great. I mean, they just cut Rodrigo Blankenship because they're kicking well. So they have a new kicker this week. So that should help yeah. because they were awful there. Like Rodrigo kicked two kicks out of the out of bounds in that one. Like that was dumb. They did a lot of dumb special team stuff. So maybe that gets cleaned up. But that I said, know. I think if you have a, if you have Michael Pittman getting 120 yards, if you have Jonathan Taylor getting 160 yards, Naheem Hines is still catching balls out of the backfield. Like that's a recipe for success, right? Matt Ryan threw an interception. If he doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, like. I don't I don't see how the Jaguars can beat that. I hope so. Look, uh but the, I will say hey, we didn't talk about it in the enough. Colts this year. Trey Trayvon Walker. He's gonna be a player. I I like I told you the ball key is worthless, but <laughs> he gets for some reason he knows defensive ends. He he had a, a sack and a interception. The interception was, was wild if you watch it, like just a super smart, crazy interception that he pulled off. So yeah. All right, and then going from there, mm-hmm. after the Colts game, we're going to have the Dolphins and the Ravens, which is a sneaky good game. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I think that the Dolphins can win this game. Uh, Lamar is on a roll, but I am rooting for the Dolphins. Yeah, give me the give me the Ravens here. Tua did not look great again. Tua was fine. Like they, he's he's fine. He's just I don't know. He's just not going to be a top ten, top fifteen quarterback. He's just not that guy. I think yeah. the Dolphins come back down to earth a little bit here on the road. Tough place, Baltimore. I think Baltimore, as I said, I think Baltimore is number one in the AFC this year. So give me the Ravens. Cool. Bucks and Saints. I'm taking the Bucks. I don't believe in your Saints. Give me the Saints here. I uh, I'm gonna ride with this a little bit. Where the Saints showed me some stuff, and the Bucks. I think this will be a really really fun like three point game. I think it's gonna come down to the game winning field goal or game winning touchdown. I can see this going to overtime. I think these are gonna be two evenly matched teams and i'm interested to see how cam jordan and davenport get after uh these uh bucks offensive linemen uh this week because they didn't have to really deal with that last week against dallas so i'm interested to see how Tempe's offensive line holds up against uh against new orleans uh um, listen man give me the saints tom brady is separated with his wife giselle mm-hmm. they're, they're living in separate houses he's probably the the happiest he's been in a long time oh wow if, any, if you, anybody knows if you're if you're in the middle of a divorce or if you're heading that way you know, having that separation from the person that you, that might happen. Like, I think he's got a new lease on life. I think he's got re you know, in, in <laughs> energized, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think he's going to beat the saints commanders and lions. Another game. No one wants to watch. Mm. <sighs> You're not wrong. Um, I, <laughs> I do not want to watch one second of this commanders uniforms suck. Not enough color. Like, I don't understand the number of colors that they've got going on, the weird gradient on this. Um, that being said, this feels like a Lions victory to me. At Carson Wentz, I could see having a game from hell here on the road in Detroit. This is like a huge uh, win for the Lions building off, uh, fighting hard against the uh, against the, the Eagles last week. Now, give me the Lions here. I think the Lions get their first dub. Yeah, I like the Lions here too. Um, only because people are saying nice things about mm. Carson Wentz. 
Yeah. And whenever you say nice things about Carson Wentz, he will remind you why you should never say nice things about Carson Wentz. Once um, someone called him a poor man's Jay Cutler recently, I was like, oh, I can't unsee that. That's not kind of accurate. It is. Yeah. I mean, it, like to be a poor man's Jay Cutler at all is like very not good. This might be. I don't know. This is I'm terrified. <laughs> You're going to this game, right? I am going to be in San Francisco. Well, Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. watching the San Francisco 49ers play at home like I did last year. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks beat the 49ers and Trey Lance. Um, Trey Lance gets his redemption. He gets an opportunity to win again. The Seahawks, I, you know, some people say that it was just playing Russell Wilson and all the energy that goes behind that. I hope so. They lost, uh, you know, they lost some players, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you can lose your starting safety. I don't know if you can lose the guy that you traded two first round picks for. He's gone for the season. That's, I feel bad. Um, Jamal Adams is not someone that you can just, I mean, we joke about him being a linebacker or whatever, but like, that's not someone you can lose, especially with, you know, Kyle Shanahan, 40% chance of rain right now. If it doesn't rain, I think the 49ers win pretty handedly. If this is does, must win. You have to win this game. I Lance. think it's must win to. too. But that's the thing. This is what I was tweeting about the other day. It's like every year now lately, it's like the 49ers. It's like they'll lose games that no one, they should, they had no business losing. Mm. And then they go to the playoffs and almost go to the Super Bowl or they go to the Super Bowl. Right. And it's like the Colts. The difference year, now though, is that was with a veteran quarterback. Now you have the young guy who Lance just all eyes. And now you're getting Mike Martz. Uh, throwing strays and you're just so many people are launching into this that like with jimmy still on the roster it's a different circumstance where like yeah, trey has 100%. to have a good game i will say if you if you have an opportunity i think the seahawks is a good game for the 49ers to hopefully get some of their mojo back mm. but i have an issue and i don't know if i'm so embedded in the 49ers fandom that maybe i don't know i hope you can watch the 49ers game this week so you can tell me but i just feel like kyle shanahan refuses to just be normal like he doesn't throw the ball to his star receivers right he gets mm-hmm. so caught up in himself where he's like oh i'm gonna use brandon Ayuk and debo's decoys so that i can throw the ball to one gen jo- you know Jawan jennings it's like Get the ball to your playmakers. Hopefully George Kittle's coming back, right? But, like, you've got to get the ball to your playmakers. You don't have a rush running game. Your, Elijah Mitchell's already out for a long time. I just feel like – I and I hope you can tell Did I me, see that y'all worked out uh, both no, old just friends, Devontae uh, Freeman and uh, Tevin Coleman today? We We signed Marlon Mack to the practice squad, and he might be their best running back right now. So I hope that I hope that Kyle Shanahan does not screw around. I know he loves his little gadget plays, but get the ball to your playmakers. Just let Trey Lance throw the football. Every time we got to the goal line, I'm like, please just let Trey Lance throw, let him throw. Mm. He's got to learn. No, they have to, you know, end around to Debo direct snap to Debo. Like just let him throw. Who, uh, well, give me the Niners. I think uh, I'll, I'll have the Niners here. And, uh, I will win. also be taking the Niners. Uh, your Rams, uh, excuse me, the Rams, Rams are going to be playing your Falcons. Mm. It's going to be a, a probably a tough day. The, you know, what, what are your thoughts there? 10-point dogs, man. 10-point dogs in this one. 
I think they but get blown out. And the I, Rams don't look that good, though. That's what I'm saying. If they're ten point dogs against what we just saw last week from Los Angeles, oh my god, I I, th- I think it might be uh, we might be entering a dangerous territory right out of the gate for the Falcons. Um, after losing that kind of game uh, the week before against your rival, uh, traveling to the West Coast to Los Angeles and a get right game for the Rams. Um, Allen Robinson, I'm gonna guess, gets more involved. He was not a factor in Week One um cooper cup we'll it, we'll see how that matchup goes with him and aj terrell but i mean grady jarrett should feast uh he'll have a good game he'll knock stafford down a couple times but uh by and large uh, i think the rams win big cool 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 and then of course uh cardinals and the raiders two teams that everyone mm. wants to be super high on but i think are really going to struggle a bit this year sneaky important game though i don't know who i want to take i think maybe the raiders I mean, obviously I want the Cardinals to lose because they're a division opponent, but like who's where's, where's the game at Uh, at, Vegas. It's in Vegas. I'm Mm going to take the Raiders. I am too. I think this is, I mean, and then the Cardinals are in a real free fall. Like by the time D hop gets back, uh, the season's already over. Uh, By the way, did you see uh, what's that last last chance you coach on Twitter? Did you see that video? Mm Mm-mm. Well, the last chance coach, you know, take that with a grain of salt because it's not like he's like some fantastic coach or whatever. He was like going over film on a video on Twitter where he was showing like, he's like, he's like, look right here. Kyler mm-hmm. does not know the play. He's like, he doesn't know that this person needs to move. Like, like the defender's coming over. Like he's, he's he, this is why he needs to do homework. He's like, he doesn't notice this. And sure enough, uh, there's just like a, essentially a wide o- open gap because uh, Kyler didn't call, you know, like the adjustment for it and he gets sacked and like mm. some non NFL coach, like a last chance you of all places is just lighting him up on Twitter, showing how he doesn't know what he's doing. It's not good. It's not a good look. So I'm going Raiders. Devontae had some good, uh, good routes. Um, week one. I think the Raiders will be fine. Uh, I think they'll bounce back and I think the defense will give Kyler more problems. Patrick Graham's defenses are, uh, quite, quite uh, frustrating for opposing uh, offenses by and large. So I think he's going to cause some more problems for Kyler in week two. So give me the Raiders as well. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Texans and Broncos. Obviously, this is exactly what Russell Wilson needs. Yes. A game at home against the Texans. Uh, I'm taking Russell Wilson. Yeah, Broncos, Broncos big. This is Broncos should if they don't win this game, it's uh, code red. Like this is uh very They're, much a unbelievably disastrous situation. They should win big. Yep. Uh Bengals and Cowboys. Joe Burrow, when you throw five interceptions, what you need as a bounce back is playing the Cowboys with no Dak Prescott. It's gonna be so weird not to have Aikman and Rome uh, Aikman and uh Buck calling a four twenty-five Fox. Cowboys game. This is the first one where we're in the post Buck Aikman era for these games. It's gonna be very strange for I guess who is it? Not Kenny Albert. It's um Burkhart and uh Greg Olson, I think. Um calling this one. But no, give me the Bengals and a get right game for them. Absolutely. Uh speaking of get right games, the mm. Packers get to get to play the Bears. The Bears, who were probably coming off a high horse, uh, was it Jalen Johnson, the cornerback who's trying to say what did Trey Lance do? Nothing. Well, guess what, bud? Now you get to go play Aaron Rodgers. Good luck. Good luck, buddy. This is going to be a blowout. Like, get, like I don't know. This might be my lock of the week of like the get right game for the Packers on Sunday Night Football. I think they blow out this Bears team. It's mine. The Packers are going yeah. to destroy the Bears uh, because, as we all know, Aaron Rodgers owns you. 
What did he say? I, I... Anyways. Yeah. Uh, Bills and Titans. Also, yeah. what is this Monday night schedule with the 7-15, 8-30? What is this? Is this every uh, week? First off, it's 4-15, 5-30. All right? Okay. And I sure. love it. I couldn't mm-hmm. be happier. Give me two games. No, is this a weekly thing? No, I don't think so. I think it's just a... Why would they not do one of these late? Why is one of... Why are they at the same time, basically? I don't know. What is I'm this? Not, I don't know, but I'm not going to complain because I love I it. am. What? I don't... Which game should I watch? I guess Bill's Titans, but I don't know. This... I kind of want to watch both. No, you absolutely watch Bill's Titans. That's okay. the better game just because of Josh But I think that Allen. might be more of a blowout. I think Eagles I think you start, you start watching Bill's Titans, but you finish Eagles Vikings. Hmm. Titans need this. 0-2 start. But I guess they really don't because the AFC South just really sucks and you could go like 7-10 well, in this division. The, Titan, the Titans are not competing for anything. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. They're not. Especially not, you know. Yeah, they're not. Chetan Burks looked good, though. He did. They just keep losing defensive ends. Harold Landry, they lost another one today. They keep losing uh, edge rushers, which is never good. No. Yeah. So I'm going to be taking the Bills. Yeah, give me the Bills. Uh, I'm taking the Vikings. The Eagles hype mm. is... Mm. No, give me the Eagles. It's at Philadelphia, I but I think the Vikings are starting off hot this year. Uh, the Philadelphia hype ends. I don't know. I, not, I mean, people were talking about the Eagles. Like, they're like a Super Bowl team. Like, I don't know, man. They've I'm got talent. The AJ Brown was awesome in that opening week. Miles um, Sanders was good. Like they, Jordan Davis is an absolute monster. Uh, he's only able to play like twenty plays a game, but in those twenty, he's just, uh, he's just so good. Like they're just deep. Like I like every position group for them. They're just a really, really well built team. Like I, I don't really have an issue. Like if they had a top five quarterback, we would say that this is the best roster in football. Yeah, I agree. Give me the Eagles. Uh, I'm taking the Vikings, but I I appreciate your candor. All right, my friend. Another week in the books, Mr. Swords. Um, no recap show next week. But we'll be back uh, the following week um, to talk about a couple weeks of NFL action because I'll be away uh, on my honeymoon. But, um, you know, maybe Hell I'll yeah. just pretend. I'll, like, pretend that you're there. No, uh, I so help me God if you do anything remotely. Like, if you even type. No one, you better not even touch a keyboard. I, there's no microphones, nothing. Mm-hmm. Enjoy yourself, friend. You deserve it. I'm very happy for you, man. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I will do my best. I will do my best. I think the fiance, soon to be wife, will ensure that that is also the case, uh, Mr. Swords. So, Evan, thank you as always, my friend. Uh, I greatly appreciate it, and I will talk to you in a couple weeks. All right, brother. Take care. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Chase Moms Podcast, taping this on a Tuesday afternoon. John Taylor, Fangraphs.com, up there in New York City. Didn't you have a bit you were going to do when I said New York City? You were gonna New do York the... City. Do it like Matt Berry, yeah. Is that, <laughs> should I just keep doing that now? Is that is that the new thing? I think you should do it. Like, we're a very new... pro what we do in the shadows podcast, so okay. I think it's more than okay. Is this what, is this what the kids are into now? Is I mean, the, I think so, bits, right? Doing Did bits. the youth not like it? Did the youth I don't, not I don't know. I don't know what are, are, the ki- are, they, are kids into bits or not? Mm. Are they into are they into stuff like that? I don't, I don't know. No one knows, I suppose. Well, I'm sure kids know, right? Kids know. 
Mm -hmm. Well, we could be like in Abbott Elementary where when decking is a thing, uh, desking is a thing, and then mm, teachers yes. have to start desking to ruin the bit. Like yes, maybe... to, make it, to make it uncool, yes. Correct. So we have to do those sort of things on this podcast where we, okay. we figure out what the youths are into, and then we just end it. If Like the youths, if they uh, are into what we do in the shadows, guess what? They're not anymore because they just realized these uh, 30-something podcasters are also into it, so it's like it's not cool anymore. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Great show, by the way, Abbott Elementary. Very good um, show. Uh, highly encouraged. Won a couple folks. Emmys. It did. Uh, people get really, you're not going to believe this, John. People get really wrapped up in Emmys and award shows. And they're like, how does Better Call Saul never win one ever? And you're like, ever. Okay, that's weird. But do I? is it going to affect my day? People will spend an entire day mad online about Just award deeply shows. mad. Yes. I promise you it doesn't matter. Like, it's <laughs> not a big deal. None of this affects your day-to-day. Um, you could want them to win. It doesn't matter if they win. Did you enjoy the show? Is it one of your favorite shows of all time? That's all that matters. Did you enjoy yeah, your just, time? Yeah, did you Did you like it? Don't care about whether or not a bunch of rando old Academy voters or whatever the Emmy Academy. Yeah. Academy. Who cares what they think? Care what you think. I'm 100% co-signing that, John. Um, we have yes. some Major League Baseball stuff, John, as we wrap up our last show uh before i take the marriage plunge over the weekend so um it's gonna be really weird i've i've talked to a lot of people about it where uh not the marriage thing i'm very excited about that uh the just not being uh productive and not doing anything related to this podcast or writing or work or anything of the sort for several days away in Mm -hmm. the vineyard and the cottage and all that kind of stuff and being away pushed away in the mountains which is the best place you can be, in my estimation, is being pushed away in the mountains. But sounds um, ideal. It's so great being out in the uh, just a big hiking guy, big mountain guy over here. Love uh, love the mountains. So I'm glad we're gonna be able to do that. But man, I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see what I'm gonna be like with just nothing to do other than just enjoying the moment. You might go crazy. <laughs> I hope not, man. I hope not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope that's not the case. Um, John Taylor, what? Houston Astros fans are hoping it's not the case is that the weird stuff with Crane and James Click, the uh, current general manager who replaced uh, Jeff Lonell after the scandal and everything, um, obviously coming in from Tampa, putting his own stamp on the organization. A lot of stuff has been kind of the same in their order of operations and how they do long term deals and uh, just the the ethos of the organization has essentially remained the same. Mm -hmm. But they've kept this thing humming and he's been uh, great uh, since taking over, but he is entering the last year of his, this is the last year of his deal. <clears throat> he could go somewhere else for nothing uh, this winter. And crane was kind of dancing around like, Hey, we've always known this was the case. This is just what we're going to be walking into. Would it be wise? And could you actually see a scenario, John Taylor, where James click actually walks from Houston this off season? Yeah, I could I could certainly see it. Uh, I, I don't think it's impossible. I would just find it kind of strange. In the same way, I would find it weird if the Astros were to let Dusty Baker walk. Mm. Um, I mean, Baker is obviously a different scenario. But what Click has done, not just in, in being given the challenge of, hey, you're now in charge of this team after one of the worst scandals in the last 20, 30 years of baseball, basically turned them into uh, at least the equivalent of a league social pariah, just in, and in terms of the, the embarrassment they, they caused the league. He has kept that team, though, not just humming, but also contending. You know, this is the best team in the American League. They will probably be a, prop, a very popular World Series pick when the postseason predictions come out. Uh, I would 
probably bet on them to make at least the ALCS, if not the World Series, and, and win yet another pennant. Um, he's done a very, or he, and I'm, this is prior to him, but during his time, he's, it seems to me he's done a very good job, both in terms of adding talent and in locking up talent long term. Uh, the Ordon Alvarez contract in particular, I thought was a very nice move. Um, if anything, I could see, I think a lot of the uh, pieces made the point that, you know, this might be dependent on how Houston does in the playoffs, mm. which wouldn't be that surprising to me. I mean, we know they they lost the World Series last year. They lost the ALCS uh, to the Rays the year before that. Obviously, they lost the World Series to the, uh, to the Nationals before that, although that was, uh, you know, a whole different whole different circumstance with a whole different mess attached to it so to speak um i was a big so fan I, of what I, happened this past year i'm sorry i was a big fan of what happened this past year yeah that yeah was a personal and, favorite of mine <laughs> but i i mean i personally think he's done such a good job with this team so far and in terms of kind of establishing the core and when you look at what the astros are projected to be next year in terms of at least just their basic roster they're not really losing anyone of consequence the only major free agent to be is Justin Verlander and he's got a $25 million player option he can exercise if he so chooses and I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he did given that he is very clearly you know found success beyond measure and really beyond belief in Houston uh beyond that everyone is coming back around for another for another bite at the apple even if the Astros don't win the World Series this year uh I guess the one thing you could point to that maybe Click and company haven't exactly figured out quite yet is the Houston farm system is not a particularly strong one uh, they've graduated, obviously, Jeremy Pena, who's been very good for them. And Hunter Brown has been a very good fill-in, at least for, I believe, two starts for Verlander so far. But most of the talent beyond that is a little further away in the system. Some of that, though, I, I don't know if you can really even blame Click for that necessarily. Obviously, the team lost draft picks after the whole sign-stealing fiasco. And the 2020 draft was a challenge for every team because it only went five rounds. And teams like Houston that just tend to, you know, that in the past have made a tendency of just stockpiling as many interesting arms as they can through the draft or whatnot that strategy doesn't really work for, instead of going after uh, big bonus guys and, and just kind of making the most of a maybe a smaller pool they, they tend to do better with a larger pool in a draft so i'm not surprised that you know that they have struggled in that regard but i mean without being there in houston without you know kind of seeing the day-to-day -day and how things operate at least on the surface it would not make sense for me for the astros to let click go um, it doesn't really i i can't imagine that they'd want to go in a different direction than where they were going in terms of I mean, I guess you would promote from within if you do this, right? I mean, that would be the only thing is that maybe either Click is just kind of personally unpopular, but is mm. still good at this job, which, I mean, this is a team that put up with, with James Luno, or uh, sorry, not James Luno, that with uh, Jeff Luno. So I can't really mm. imagine that uh, personal behavior is that dividing of a factor for Jim Crane and company. But the other aspect of it may be that they just want to save whatever money they can. And it's just cheaper to promote some guy from an assistant GM role or somewhere in that weird baseball hierarchy to replace click. If he decides that, you know, he's done a good enough job that he should get more money now for his work. But the, the truth is these guys don't make all that much money in the first place. You know, we're not talking about the difference between like Justin Verlander and Martin Perez. We're talking maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in terms of salary or something. This is not particularly much. I mean, they're all, I mean, Again, without knowing what's going on in the inside, without knowing if this is some the result of some kind of attempt, like calculated power play on one side or the other to try to establish uh, dominance or control within the Astros, I, I don't know. But at least from the outside, there wouldn't seem to be any reason to move on from Click uh, in the role he's had because he's he's been great at it. Again, the Astros are the best team in the American League and are going to be the favorites to win the pennant, if not the World Series. I guess the Dodgers are probably the favorites there, but 
still like they're one of the one of the five best teams in well, baseball. I think it's and they weird too, right? Where you see the report, it's like, well, if they sputter, look out for that. It's like, what sputter? What does that even mean? Like, if they don't win the whole thing, because like well, this I was, been... was going to say, like, I could maybe if you're if the Astros get knocked out in what will be their first round yeah. after their first round by if they lose, but that to... should still count as getting past the first round. I hate when we well, look they, at they that. Still where it's like the division. They're still going to they're yeah. still going to finish with more the most wins of anyone in the American League. Exactly. I that's the thing. Like you. You you can sure if if the if the playoffs are a mess for Houston I can I guess I can understand that maybe they want to change direction or maybe they think Click didn't do enough or something but again on the outside again doesn't really scan right but there's also the part of it, it's like it's like Billy Bean said like my shit doesn't work in the playoffs because the playoffs are a crapshoot sometimes where all mm-hmm. the work you can do to build and and assemble the best team possible that team may just not be may just run into trouble or bad luck or injuries or whatever you want to call it in the playoffs and sometimes. Right. We saw that happen with the Dodgers how many times before they won a World Series? And then again last year when they were trying to defend it. Like, being the best team is not a guarantee that you're going to win it all. And I can't imagine, especially given how consistently Houston has gotten to this point, that now if they were to, say, fall in the in the ALCS or the World Series even before that, that for some reason that would be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I mean, this isn't... This isn't a team that has struggled by any stretch of the imagination in the recent past. They've been here. They're consistently mm-hmm. putting themselves in a position to win. If it just so happens that they run into a hot team or one bad week, I I don't really know that you can blame Click for that. I, I guess it's it's one thing if the Astros get to the playoffs and some component of the team, like the bullpen or the lineup or something, starts it doesn't perform in a way where you you can maybe go, hey, in hindsight, maybe you guys should have done more about this, you know. But at least to my eyes, looking at this team right now, I, I don't really see any place where Click hasn't really done enough. I think, you know, you could argue maybe they could have been a little more active at the deadline, but they got Christian Vasquez and Trey Mancini. And that's I, I thought that was pretty much exactly what they needed to do. I agree. Um, I just think it's weird. And I'm very curious to see how this ultimately unfolds. This strikes me more as like a ownership in him don't get along personally. This is Possibly. how this reads to me. I mean, Jim Crane is kind of surly, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it were something like that. But at least, yeah, on the merits, I, I don't see any reason. why. That's what I'm saying. The merits just don't add up to me. It doesn't. No, qual- no, this does not strike me as a I feel like sputtering in the playoffs is like PR for <laughs> we have to find a reason that uh, we can throw out publicly as to why this highly successful general manager is uh, not getting his contract renewed for putting together the best team in the AL this year. Like that's there's got to be a way to frame it um that is not extremely weird and i mean it's interesting like it did not come out until recently that his contract does end at the end of this year and that was from chandler room uh the houston chronicle um about that but it's it's odd and the fact that this is out uh, let's do our prediction john and i think he's gone i think the fact that this is out tells me that someone's working media in turn to get ahead of this that the uh, this strikes me as the astros uh ownership group is trying to get ahead of this and that this is over that these two are not gonna like you just don't see stories like this and then they're like we worked it out and now we're there uh he just signed a new five-year contract and everything's good to go this strikes me as he's out like i think I mean, this is i, this I is can weird. see that I, I mean it just depends on who leaked it or who planted it if it's the yeah. ownership side of things doing this then yeah i would suggest that there has been some tension behind the scenes between the two parties and they're trying to lay the groundwork now for hey if this guy leaves you know, it's not out of nowhere. Yeah. But if it's Clicks Camp who who leaked this, or someone uh, someone close to his side, then maybe it's just their attempt to put the pressure on Crane to be like, "Hey, 
I've done a really good job. Why right. am I still not signed for next year and beyond? Which doesn't necessarily disprove what you're saying. But yeah, I... I, I but either way, that does show that there is some sort of animosity. No matter where some, it came, it came from, there's animosity there. Yeah, there, there's, there's some kind of disconnect there, clearly. Because usually, also, these kinds of things usually happen quietly behind the scenes yes. so that when the news does come out, you're like, oh, okay, fine, sure, great. Yeah, that's a thing that was going to happen. Like, those things right. are usually... Those deals are made, like, in a sense, when they're announced, the deal is just straight up done and it has mm -hmm. been done for some time. And this is just officially, like, letting people know, like, oh, hey, this guy's coming back for another year. Like, these things are usually just taken care of, as a matter of fact. You don't really leave a guy dangling unless there's a good reason for it. So, yeah, it is a little weird to have this come out, especially so late in the season, so close to the postseason, to essentially have it be, yeah, James Click is general managing for his job at a right. point at which he can't even really do anything about it anymore which is kind of this is the other odd part of it it's like it's not as if there's anything click can do at this point the astros who are going to the playoffs are they're set there's there's no there's no more there are no more sorry there are no more trades that can be made there are no more signings that can be made like the team he built is the one that's going to go play in the is going to go play in the postseason and if they come up short i i, I don't really see how that's his fault at this point for sure. Um, well, we'll see ultimately what happens here. If he does, if that job does open up. I mean, that is a big time job. Like it's every, a huge job. Like, but it's, it's also, I mean, think about it. It's also a lot of pressure to maintain a winning team, a great team in Houston without the use of that farm system that kept them afloat for so long. Hold on. Drew Gilbert's on the way, my friend. Already raking in single when that was going to come up. I was wondering he when he is Drew on the way. Up. He is your, their Brett Gardner for the next 17 years is right there. They're okay. I mean, I would just, I would be interested because, and, you know, Houston is not a team that does not spend, but they're also not a team that's gone into the free agent market in the past and just showered players with money. Obviously, they let, they let Carlos Correa walk. I'd be curious to see if Verlander does turn down his option and if he does start angling for a longer term deal, which would probably be something more in the neighborhood of what, uh, maybe less than what Max Scherzer got, if the Astros are going to say, eh, that's great, but have you thought about asking the Mets if they want to do that or someone else maybe? Like I, I'm curious to see how they're going to treat this offseason, particularly if they don't win the World Series, and particularly if, like you said, or like we're getting signs of click does walk, because if you're taking over that team, like on on like I said, on the one hand, you're getting next year's 2023 Astros will be basically the same as the 22 Astros, with the biggest decision being whether or not Verlander is part of that team or not. I mean, every, mm. everyone else, everyone who is a free agent otherwise is a pretty minor piece of the roster who I assume can either be brought back or replaced without too much effort. The core is still there. But you have a farm system that has slumped in the last few years that is bereft of top 100 talent at the moment. You have ownership that, at the very least, did not seem to be enamored with the last regime, which did everything that they could have been asked to do and then some. Uh, an owner who is not particularly savvy, let's put it that way, when it comes to doing stuff like dealing with the media or like ensuring that his appointed general manager is not cheating. Um, and you're going to have to deal with the fact that the American league isn't going to get any easier next year. The Yankees are still going to be good. The Rays are still going to be good. The blue Jays are still going to be good. The, the Mariners are, are up and coming, although you can argue whether or not uh, that's a team that, you know, whose window is how, how long that team's window is open. Uh, you've got a team within the state that is very clearly itching to spend more and do more and be better. Uh, in the Rangers, and I don't think the, the Astros necessarily have to worry about the Rangers anytime soon, but that is a team that has very clearly made it uh, a goal to get better. So, yeah, it, it would definitely be an incredibly appealing job, I think, but there are also some real challenges there for whoever takes over Houston, especially, again, compared to the fact that for the last 10 years of baseball, 
uh, not sorry, not the last 10, more like the last uh, six. Yeah, let's call it the last five to six. No team has been better or more consistent with the exception of the Dodgers. Hmm. You know, you are talking about one of the two best teams in baseball, like no conditionals attached. So that is the standard you have to keep up. And if you don't, things are, I think, going to get pretty ugly pretty fast because that is not a that is also not a core and not a group that is used to losing or at least not anymore. I would agree. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, what we also already know is Wilmer Flores gets an extension in San Francisco. John, do you like the the extension for Flores? Sure. I mean, it's I'm, I'm happy Wilmer gets paid. I'm happy he gets some security and stability. He really seems to like it in San Francisco. It seems to be a good fit for him. And keeping him around there makes sense. He's essentially a league average hitter, uh, worth about one and a half to two wins a year. So he's a pretty he's a pretty good bench guy slash super sub. He can play a few different positions, which always helps. He's a great bat against left-handed pitching, uh, which is always useful for a team like the Giants. It always loves to mix and match and platoon and everything else. So yeah, and and for only two years, and I believe it was eighteen million, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. You know about the going rate for, I'd say, a player of Wilmer's capacity and capability. And yeah, that's certainly not something that's going to break the bank for the Giants or anything either, which is, of course, something they have to be mindful of because that is a team, and I think we, we've talked about before, where you know they don't necessarily have... Uh, they're, not someone, they're not a team that has, say, like the Steven Strasburg contract on their books that's just going to choke them forever. They have no long-term money uh, beyond 2024 or... I think the only they have two players, one player signed to a guaranteed deal in 2024. That's Anthony DiSclefani. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlos Rodon has two, has one year left. Evan Longoria has one year left. Um, although he may, and, and that one year may not even happen. It's a 13 million dollar team option with a five million dollar buyout. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants just let him go. Um, that's next year is Brandon Crawford's last year under contract. Alex Woods last year under contract. Alex Cobb's last year under contract. Tommy Lastella isn't last year under contract. To say nothing of the fact that this offseason they're going to be down Brandon Belt, Jock Peterson, uh, and a handful of other guys as well. So I think that part of this is just trying to establish some level of you know solidity and stability from whatever iteration of the Giants currently exists to the next one. Because the vibe definitely doesn't be at least based on those contracts that the Giants you see on the field now don't get to it, don't get any more attached than you might already be because it, de- it definitely does feel like something different is probably coming. And I think in that capacity, it makes sense to hang on to Wilmer as someone you know is he's produced. You know you, what you've got in him. He's helpful to have around. He's coming at a relatively low cost. Might as well start locking that kind of stuff in. Because, I mean, truthfully, also, when you're looking at the rest of the Giants, at the current Giants, aside from, you know, if, if you wanted to go to Rodon and be like, let's let's go ahead and tear up that, not tear up that deal, but let's give you some more years and then money on top of that. Mm-hmm. There's not really anyone coming up out of contract, essentially, who you're thinking, we got to keep them around long-term going forward, you know? Uh, DiSclefani, Crawford, Wood, Cobb, Lastella, Belt, Peterson, all 30 or older, uh, as well as, you know, a lot of their, and a lot of their guys who aren't free agents and aren't necessarily expensive, but are still on the older side anyway. Mike Estremski's 31, J.D. Davis is 29, Jacob Junis is 29, you know, John Brebbia is 32. I mean, obviously, they've got uh, Logan Webb, who is going to be there for a good long while and is relatively cheap. I mean, he won't even be ARB eligible, I think, for another year or so, hmm. um, as well as, you know, whatever prospects they've got coming up within their system. But I think what we've seen with the Giants right now is the depth that they need to be a, you know, day in, day out, year in, year out contender is not really there yet, particularly because their farm system, they've been taking their time to rebuild it, uh, to add depth to it. They've shied away from those long term deals. So I think, 
getting cost certainty on guys like Wilmer, who, you know, we know that they, they know that he wants to be there. They know that he's a good piece for them makes sense as they start to try to plan out. Okay. Financially, what are the giants of 2023 and especially 2024 going to look like, you know, Mm -hmm. because though this, these, these two seasons upcoming are really going to be big transition years for the giants. What's left of that world series winning core, which is kind of amazing that there even are still pieces left of that core at this point is going to end, you know, Brandon Crawford and Brandon belt are pretty much the last holdouts. They will both be gone sooner rather than later. And it's going to be time for a new set of giants to come into the, into the picture. So I understand it for San Francisco too to have to have a guy like Flores there, have him set, and start trying to think. Okay, let's start locking up the guys we want to lock up. Then we'll start trying to figure the rest of this out. Because, like I said, truthfully, they don't they don't really have a lot to worry about in terms of potentially impact players who are potentially on the way out, with the exception primarily of Rodon. Yeah, I also wonder. I mean, now that you've had a couple months to think about it, John, uh, do you feel better about what the Giants did because they got a lot of flack and a lot of grief for how they approached the deadline and i mean they're not gonna be a playoff team and they kind of just wrote it out they didn't really they didn't follow the jeff pass and you're either in or you're out every deadline you got to make a decision like every deadline just do something one or the other um to either get some value at the end of the year or go all in and really if you're in the if you have a realistic shot just put some chips in they did nothing mm-hmm. um now that you've had a little bit more time do you think you do you feel better about them doing nothing i mean i didn't i don't think i necessarily felt bad about them doing nothing i mean you look at what they have on their roster and what they had on their roster like who were they going to move at the deadline with the with the exception of possibly rodon who would have really done anything for the giants going forward in the future no one was going to give anything up of any real value for longoria or or tony disco or alex wood or alex cobb you know if they were if you were going to move those guys that was more about cutting salary for the future than doing anything else Hmm. And again, none of those guys are on long-term deals. All of them will be gone by the end of the 2023 season with the exception of Di Sclafani. And if, again, that's not a guy who you should really worry about, you know, eating up a ton of payroll space or something like that. So I, I can understand what the Giants did in that I don't really know that they had a path one way or the other. Buying obviously didn't make sense for them. They weren't in, they weren't a contender at that point. You know, the, there was no real chance of them making the playoffs. But there was nothing really for them to sell, again, with the exception of they wanted to see what someone like Rodon would have brought in. And even then, like, I, I personally have no problem with them deciding to keep him for another season, trying again next year, you know, seeing what they can get done in, in free agency and during the offseason and a more regular offseason, of course, not one that is all lockout messed up. Um, and also, if things do badly again next summer, OK, well, there will be some team willing to pay for Rodon then, too, because assuming he's healthy, he should still be a very good starter. And teams at the deadline always need really good starters. And you're always going to get a good package for those guys, no matter mm-hmm. how close they are to free agency. I think that is kind of a, an ironclad rule at this point. If you have a good starter, you're going to get something good for him. So, no, I, I don't think the Giants necessarily made a mistake or anything at the deadline. I, I can understand where they were coming from, which is they are kind of in this weird bridge period that I think last year's overwhelming success kind of hid to a certain degree because they had so many major league guys particularly veterans just kind of have those big bounce back seasons. I, I, I look at them the same way. I look at the Red Sox kind of right now, which is last year. I think they got ahead of themselves in a way that was probably by design, but also early. Hmm. And when that same depth and when those same performances wasn't there the next year, they pretty much fell apart. Those teams are, I think very reliant on being able to assemble depth and also being able to get better than expected years out of the, career minor leaguers, uh, the kind of third tier veterans, guys like that, that they, you know, they've targeted in waiver claims, in free agency and trades, you know, guys who are more 
guys who are basically on the cheaper side of production, but who they think can still be kind of the ra- the raise model of, of roster of roster construction. And as we've seen too with the Rays, that can be really hard when you either don't get it right or when you have a lot of injuries and don't have all the depth you need to carry that onward. That's a really tough way to it. It, it introduces a lot of potential variance into the roster. We'll see what ultimately happens. They have a really interesting winner ahead of them, and I'm very curious to see how they approach it because the Diamondbacks, they're going to be feisty next year. I don't think uh, I think they'll be back. I think the Rockies are just an absolute dumpster fire, so you can pencil them out. But um, Padres aren't going anywhere. Dodgers aren't going anywhere. So they're in a weird, weird kind of spot um, where we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I, I, I think this offseason will be very important for them in terms of at least trying to see what is – are they like what is the shape of the next long-term Giants core going to look hmm. like and who's going to comprise it? Is it, you know, is it going to be the prospects like Marco Luciano and potentially Joey Bart and some of the pitching they've drafted? Or is it going to be, you know, are they going to be making a play for someone like Aaron Judge and trying to add that uh star power from outside with a guy who, you know, has local ties and is, you know, a phenomenal hitter and would fill a space for them in the outfield that they've really, really struggled to fill in recent years, you know, and they've just been having more of a kind of plug and play outfield as opposed to one with def- this, sorry, defined uh, set starters at every position. I don't know. It'll, it'll be really interesting to see what the giants do this off season. I think, because like you said, you're, you're right. They're in a really strange position in that division where they have the Dodgers atop everything uh, as a team that is basically, you know, the, the, the juggernaut looming above them. You have the Padres, who are very always very active, who have you know just added arguably one of the five best players in baseball over the deadline. We'll have him for at least the next three seasons. And you have a Diamondbacks team that looks way better and has been getting better production out of its players and that has a really strong farm system that you're starting to see produce major league caliber talent. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be in a really interesting position next this coming offseason in terms of you know what do they want to do if if they do want to remain in contention, or is this another season where they're like, okay, we're just gonna we'll see what happens. And we'll we'll wait to see after the end of 2023, and then we'll start. You know, we'll see where the prospects and everything are by that point. And we'll see if the fans are good with that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, off season for uh, the San Francisco Giants. Um, so the Miami Marlins we talked about a couple weeks ago, where they have a lot of pitching talent. You saw a report come out a couple weeks ago that. Hey, uh, they need to move some of these guys because of this historically bad offense. And they've just done a really, really great job of cultivating and uh, drafting and developing and identifying uh, starting pitching talent. Like they just have so many young arms. And I mean, they've even uh, had great deals with Oakland and like just they've done a lot of good, smart, shrewd moves in terms of just building out an elite, elite pitching staff. Now they have too many guys and they didn't do anything this winter where a lot of Miami Marlins folks were like, mm, this is a little weird. Uh, obviously the weirdness with Derek Jeter leaving and what was going on there. And we'll probably never get really a full story on what happened with ownership and with Jeter and everything else. But that was a weird vibe going into the year. And now um, we get the report that this is basically do or die time uh, for Kim Ang. And this is, this is huge for her. Like she's basically got one year left. Um, and what she does this winter is going to determine whether or not she has her job at this point next year, it seems like. And that's a little scary if you're a Marlins fan, but also like if you're Kim, like this is this is a good spot to be in because the Marlins are not an atrocious baseball team. Now, the downside, similar to the Giants situation, the Phillies aren't 
going to fall off a cliff next year, we don't think. They'll be a little bit healthier. They're still going to try and compete. The Braves and the Mets are certainly not going anywhere. The Braves are locked in. The Mets are locked in for next year. So the NL is so top-heavy where you have to compete. And just assume that the Padres, the Dodgers, the uh, – I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't throw the Cardinals in there. Um, the Mets and the Braves. That's just four guaranteed almost at this point for the next couple of years. And you basically have, without saying it, a playoff mandate, right? Like this is, you better make the playoffs and you better uh, fix this because this offense is just crushing the souls of Miami Marlins fans everywhere. Are you at all surprised that this is it? And also, does this fascinate you on how Miami will approach this winter and maybe go big fish hunting? Maybe they go after Carlos Correa. Maybe they go after some of the bigger names because it's like, hey, you, you've got to fix this offense. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that at least when it comes to Kim Ang, I, I do wonder if this offseason is is kind of it for her because she's had now two in charge of the Marlins where they've been fine, but I shouldn't say fine. They're 25 games under 500 right yeah. now. Like you said, that team is not hitting at all. Um, they've had some huge successes, obviously, in terms of player development, particularly like you mentioned with their pitching staff. Uh, Jazz Chisholm obviously has been a superstar for them, and that that's that gallon uh, Chisholm trade is going to go down. It's one of the more fascinating challenge trades of the last like 10 years of baseball. True. Really going to be something to watch the two of those guys um, just develop over the next however many years. And I do think obviously, I mean, this has always been the case for Miami, but there is room for them to do more, at least financially. They only have $27 mm -hmm. million guaranteed to players next year. Um, some of that will come up. I mean, Jorge Soler has a $15 million player <laughs> option that he's probably going to exercise that the Marlins the year, probably the wish that they could. Yeah. That, that did not work out particularly well for the Miami. That was the sad one where all Braves fans knew that this was not going to work out. I think even Marlins fans were like, this is going to not well, work and, out because and, like and Soler is just the ultimate guy where it's like, that's not who you pay. He needs to have all the back against the wall. Like I'm fighting for my career type of situation for him to hit and push himself. And that's the thing. You can argue, too, that Miami has not really done a very good job in terms of the free agency moves they have made. Avasail mm -hmm. Garcia for $48 million was one of those deals where the mo or sorry, $53 million. From the moment you saw it, you're like, why did they do that? Yeah. You know, that that was a very, very clear, like, it, from the second it happened was one of the moves that just felt like that's a mistake. And mm -hmm. it has been a really big mistake. Uh, Soler giving him two player options worth $24 million for 2023 and 2024 I really can't say I understand that one either. You know, the the risk, I guess the risk was he had a great season. What was the risk, actually? You pay him $12 million this year, and if he has a great season, maybe he opts out. But again, $15 million next year is probably going to be a little hard for him. I mean, I can understand that there, it was kind of structured pillow contracty-wise, but mm. now the problem is you're pretty much on the hook for $15 million for him next year, barring him doing something crazy after an absolutely terrible season when he's going to be 31 years old. And is a guy who has been way more about his tools than uh, any kind of things like plate discipline. You know, that that's not a guy whose skill set is going to age particularly well. Right. Um, a lot of the major league players added have really just not produced or achieved. I mean, you've got some small victories in there with guys like Dylan Floro or Garrett Cooper or um, briefly Jesus Aguilar, where they were contributing something. But otherwise, you're not really... The, the success rate just has not been there for, for especially for free agent signings. Part of that is the Marlins just do not make the big signings that, mm -hmm. you know, for, for as much as like, yeah, you don't want to spend a, a trillion dollars on a player. Yeah, but you're also you need to do that to get the best players. Right. 
like Avisel Garcia is the perfect example of a guy where it's like you're paying him to be a star when he isn't. You pay mm-hmm. stars, for, you pay star money to stars. You don't pay Avisel Garcia anything approaching that. And that's what you do when your ownership group is basically telling you we can't spend more than X amount of dollars this year. So you got to make do with some pretty crappy options. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, like I don't know how much that's Ang's fault. I don't know if this is an ownership decree of you can't spend or if this is something where her and her team are just misidentifying uh, targets and going after the wrong guys. I don't know. But yeah, free agency has been a struggle for the Marlins. Uh, hitter development has been an enormous struggle for them, obviously. You look at the young hitters they have brought up this year. They have, by and large, all struggled mightily. Uh, they don't really have much else coming up within their system in terms of hitters. A lot of those guys are still pretty far away in the lower levels of the minors. They do have a lot of pitching coming up. And I know when we talked about Pablo Lopez a, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, he seems like a prime candidate to be moved for a bat. Uh, maybe some of their other pitching depth as well. But the Marlins, I mean, like you said, they're in a tough position, though. The NL East is no joke. They have three teams ahead of them that are easily and genuinely better than they are um they have like you mentioned the Padres and the Dodgers are perpetually part of the playoff picture one NL Central team will make the playoffs at least by by rule unfortunately (laughs) so there are not a lot of spots for Miami to eke out any kind of advantage or to kind of squeeze their way in there particularly if they can't hit so yeah I I I I do kind of think though that if this year if next year's Marlins are also just non-competitive non-contenders that probably will be it for Aang But on the other hand, I don't really know what she was supposed to do with the fact that, again, this team ran a payroll this year of about 60-some million dollars. That's Mm -hmm. just not competitive. You cannot build a winning team on a a payroll that low unless you're the Rays and you have access to magic. Like, you just, you can't do it. You you need to be able to go out there and get the big players that you, especially offensively, because, again, there, there are no reinforcements coming from within the Marlins system. There are no guys immediately at the top of their ladder ready to debut who are going to be Julio Rodriguez level impacts from day one. They need to go out and acquire those guys. And that's either going to cost them some of the pitching they've worked so hard to develop, or it's going to cost them a lot of money. And given that the Marlins don't seem to want to spend that money, it really does put that much more pressure on Cam Ang to nail every trade, every waiver claim, every free agent signing. Money money really does help in terms of giving you some leeway. It really does help paper over some mistakes and some holes. And the Marlins just don't do that. So it, it's not a surprise to me then that this is that this might be it for Kim Ang because you could argue she's never really gotten the opportunity to do as much as any other GM would because ownership down there just doesn't want to spend. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things too. It's like, oh, it, it's an unwinnable thing. And it's the Rays just make everybody else think like all these other ownership groups sit around they're like why can't we be the race like there are so many around the league that are like look they can do it we should be able to win that way it's like well no like you said there's a dark magic thing going on with tampa bay and tampa bay is able to do it but that is not the norm and that will never be the norm where the majority of the teams that try and win that way and create that way find lasting success it's just not not realistic there is a reason when you go to the payroll right now i mean i don't have it in front of me but what is it? Uh, team payrolls. Let's look right, real quick uh, for twenty. You looking up the Rays payroll? Uh, just everybody right now. Uh, twenty twenty two. Okay, Mets number one. They're in the playoffs. Dodgers number two in the playoffs. Number three, the Yankees in the playoffs. Number four, the Padres in the playoffs. White Sox number five. Still very much a possibility. Should be in the playoffs. Should be in the playoffs with the Blaze. Phillies in the playoffs. Uh, Red Sox. Oof. Um, yeah, Angels. Oof. Astros though. Playoffs, Cardinals, playoffs. So eight of the top ten spenders in the playoffs. Like there, you just go up and down the list. There is a reason that the teams at the bottom 
The Baltimore Orioles have not been in the playoffs in a long time. The Cleveland Guardians have no interest in being in the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Although Pirates, they're going to make the playoffs just by default at this point. Just by default. And that's another thing. Don't take that as a lesson. I'm trying to be the, the Cleveland Guardians. But um, I don't know. It's just one of those things where I, I feel like it's a tough job. You're in a tough spot. I also just... Miami is kind of like Oakland for me in the, the Bay Area where people have just kind of accepted that they should be a small market team. And it's like, I don't know if that should be no, the case. And that's, I don't well, think that's, that they, Tampa Bay is different. There's no stadium. There's no, uh, there's no path. I think all, to them, like, all the costs of that stadium were pushed onto the people of Miami yeah. and, and Miami Dade County because Jeffrey Loria sold the, sold the Miami city council and whatnot and sold the state government a false bill of goods. <sighs> They don't even have to worry. Same with it's just, it, they have the same stadium situation as the Braves, which is mm. to say they're barely paying for it. You know, that's not their problem. They have a wonderful stadium that has air conditioning and a cool little bobblehead section. Like it's the stadium, like what what I think and, and what we were both kind of saying, I think, is when you don't spend, the margin for error is that much smaller. Right. You can you cannot spend and make it to the playoffs as of your team like Cleveland or your team like Tampa Bay. Because sometimes you get just good performance, sometimes you get good luck. But it's also worth noting those two teams have fantastic player development teams. Mm-hmm. Like that really is the key. It's you can spend cheaply if you're just constantly churning out three war players for fu- for six hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Which is insanely difficult. <laughs> which is really hard. There's a reason mm-hmm. most teams don't do that, and there's a mm-hmm. reason that the Dodgers are as good as they are because they marry that with the ability to have a payroll in the two hundred in worth of 250 or more million dollars mm-hmm. like that's how it works you cannot have one without or you can have one without the other but you got to be really really good in terms of either player development or knowing how to spend that money mm-hmm. and the marlins are clearly good at pitcher development but they haven't figured out the hitter side of things yet and that margin for error in terms of well if the if a couple of these guys don't make it it's okay because we can go out and and pick up the guys like you know to fill this holes in the roster we, that that's not an option for them and mm-hmm. I think when we talked about Derek Jeter leaving, however long ago that now was, that was part of it too, was that Jeter, I think, understood this team, this ownership group is not going to spend in the way that will actually make this team a regular serious contender. Mm-hmm. The Marlins are always, I think, going to be, at least with, with this ownership group and with their, with their reluctance to spend, are always going to be in that dark horse group of contenders where it's like everything needs to go right and a bunch of stuff needs to go wrong for everybody else. And then we can talk about the Marlins being a playoff team because otherwise they can't they can't buy they're not going to buy their way in mm-hmm. and you can only get so far with player development if you're not going to spend money and particularly if you're not going to be able to do half of the player development if you're not going to get hitters up there on a regular basis you're kind of you're kind of sunk you know you you can't win games on just pitching alone you just cannot do it no but we'll see what happens i think it's going to be interesting they are they have a lot of lot of starting pitching that a lot of teams around the league would very much like to uh, make a deal for so i think there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to make to do a real, so, real. Yeah, makeover. I think. I think especially if it is a guy like Lopez. Excuse me, moved. They can count on getting at least one, if not two, major league ready impact young players in return. You know, yeah. he's a great pitcher. He's he should bring back a good return in terms of the players you're getting. But it can't just be that, and then a couple cheap signings, and you're done for the offseason. You've got to do a bit more because the contenders in front of you are really definitely going to do more than you are. So you need to be able to at least go to, you got to be willing to spend. You've got to be willing to spend the money basically. 
Agreed, Matt Green or Matt Green, um, John Taylor. That uh, this is that did rhyme kind of nicely. That did. No, it's because I say that to Matt Green all the time on this podcast. Um, so next up, Framber Valdez tied the MLB single season record. John Taylor with his twenty fourth straight quality start on Monday. What do you think about Framber's uh, streak he's got going here, John? It's not surprising. He's a guy who throws strikes. He throws a ground ball or he throws a a heavy hard sinker that you basically have no option but to hit straight into the ground. So he gets he gets outs. He gets outs efficiently. He's got a fantastic curveball that he can throw for swings and misses. He's got a ton of stamina, Um, you know, consistently one of those guys who I mean, the quality start streak says it all. He can get you into the sixth inning and beyond it with easy regularity. Um, I I just do want to point out one thing with Framber that I love in terms of ground Mm. ball rate. he has a ground ball rate of 66.3%. That is almost 10 points higher than second place Logan Webb. It's also, I believe, the highest ground ball rate for a qualified pitcher ever. I mean, this is a dude who just is, he is the equivalent of Zach Britton for six innings, essentially. <laughs> mm. And so again, not not all surprised that this is where Framber is at. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out in the postseason and whether or not Framber is a guy who like Dusty Baker will let go through an order three times if he can to try to, you know, if he's kind of the designated, let's preserve some relievers uh, when we can through his starts. I mean, that that's going to be an interesting thing to watch for Houston generally, because between him and Verlander, those two, those are guys you can count on pretty regularly for six to seven innings a clip. Houston as a team, assuming those guys are healthy and good to go for the postseason and don't just randomly turn into pumpkins should be able to keep its bullpen relatively relatively fresh and well-rested throughout the postseason because with those two guys, like I said, they're not going to be leaning on that bullpen too much. It also does make me wonder, uh, and this is maybe a little, it might be a little narrow, but I do wonder what the postseason rotation structure is going to look like for Houston if they'd be interested in putting a guy like Jose Urquidy or Christian Javier or Luis Garcia in between Verlander and Valdez instead of stacking those two guys up in front, you know, just essentially having them each be kind of set bullpen off days so that you can empty the bullpen if you need to in game two in relief of one of your lesser starters, knowing that in game three, you've got Framber, he's going to give you the six or seven innings, he's going to keep runs off the board, you don't have to worry so much about, hey, it's the fourth inning and our starter is lagging slash, we don't want him to face an order a third time, get someone ready. You can feel a little more confident about having him go a little deeper into the games. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that to me is the biggest utility he brings to Houston going forward is just the ability to get deep into games, the ability to preserve the bullpen, the ability just to absorb innings, obviously more valuable in the regular season, but definitely I think will be worth noting in the postseason as to how the Astros kind of set their rotation up. If they do want to try to take advantage of Verlander and Valdez being those uh, kind of workhorses for them. Last thing, John, Mike Trout uh, in another season that uh, does not matter for Mike Trout and the Los Angeles Angels. He has hit a home run in seven straight games, one game shy of tying uh, a few different legends for the MLB record of eight games in a row. So we'll see if that uh, concludes this evening. Um, But goodness gracious, John, like. Mike Trout, of course, he just comes back. People forgot about him. It's all Shohei all the time. And as it should be, because Shohei is amazing for a multitude of reasons. But Mike Trout's like, no, I'm still pretty good. No, uh, my, yeah, Mike I, Trout's still Mike Trout. He's like, hey, mm-hmm. remember me? I'm the I'm the best baseball player on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Non-Shohei Otani edition. Um, yeah, it's. It, I mean, on the one hand, it, it makes me so happy. Because they're, I think they're this year more than, I think, this year kind of what I think has been the culmination of the last few seasons of that growing concern of, 
uh-oh, is Mike Trout done? Mm. Not done in the sense that like he's facing the end, but have is we he exiting seen... his prime? Yes. Have we seen the end of peak Mike Trout? And is everything from here a Pujols like slide into the back half? Mm. I think especially because of the way he has been unable to stay healthy. And that includes this season, you know, when he had to spend uh, however long he spent on the injured list with the bad back. Um, I think it was given about two or so months. Uh, you know, he's only gotten 400 to some plate appearances this season. And like you said, on top of that, in yet another season that doesn't matter, yet another year of his career wasted. Like, I, I think there is that fear of like, we're never, at, not only are we, have we maybe missed, or not only not missed, but not only are we may be exiting the prime of the greatest player any of us have ever seen, but that it's too late for anything to be done about it. That the team around him is is just bad, or obviously the team around him is bad, but that they're never going to be good enough to make make anything of what of what of Mike Trout they have left. And again, it's worth noting, Mike Trout is a lifetime angel. Until mm -hmm. and unless he tells the Angels, I don't want to be here anymore, get me the hell out of here, he is stuck with that franchise for the rest of his life. So Oh God, I just don't don't think about that for too long if you don't want to be super depressed. But, but see, I'm not depressed anymore. He made his choice. He could he have did make his choice. Like Trout now made his choice. There's no reason to feel bad for Mike Trout anymore. Like Mike Trout could have left. This could have been over. The national nightmare of Mike Trout not playing meaningful uh, Major League Baseball games could have been ended uh, a while ago. Trout yeah, took I mean, money I and we understand it. I understand it. I don't blame him for taking the money. I don't blame him for for not only taking the money, but also being like, I like Anaheim. I like being here. I want this team to be better. I want this franchise to do better. I can imagine he's pretty upset with the way things have panned out, but at the same time, he's still Mike Trout. He's still pretty chill. But like I said, it, it's good to see him back. It is good to see him producing. Um, I think that worry is still there that, you know, of course, like not even so much the worry is still there that he won't be the same Mike Trout anymore. But that the Mike Trout we're used to is going to is going to exist in smaller and smaller doses. Mm. Like it's going to be stuff like this, but it's going to be for one month of the season at a time, as opposed to three, or a one week hot streak, as opposed to two and a half. Or we're only going to get 120 games out of him, as opposed to 145. You know, whatever it happens to be, because of whatever confluence of injuries and aging and slumps and whatever else happens. But. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just sad. It's ultimately just sad that Mike Trout is where he is. I feel bad bringing up Mike Trout around you and Shohei Otani. It's just always such a downer. It, it just it that's that is the true the true crime of the Angels that they've taken the two best, most exciting, most interesting, most fun, cool, whatever you want to call them, players, and made them such depressing subjects because the franchise around them is a, is a, is deadbeat, you mm -hmm. know, and. I guess like what I wanted, then I guess what I wanted to try to end it on a happier note. I don't want to focus so much about then on the angels failures as I do on the fact that Mike Trout is still capable of being Mike Trout. He's showing us, Hey, I'm Mike Trout. I didn't go anywhere. I'm still a God in human form. Like, and I think more than anything, having seen the way that these last years have played out both with him in terms of his body starting to kind of break down on him a little bit. And with the angels just proving that they are never going to be a, a useful franchise in any capacity or of, of sorts. We have to appreciate it. What well, we that's get why from the him. L.A. Times is getting involved here. So maybe uh... <laughs> we we have to appreciate what we've got of Trout. You know, mm -hmm. cherish cherish and treasure every time he does this. Cherish kind of stuff. cute story. <laughs> that's or a that's, deep cut for my. That's a real deep cut. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, tre treasure the moments we have with Mike Trout mm -hmm. because as we're seeing these last few years, you know, we may not be getting as many of them. So when he does stuff like this, when he does things that remind you, it's like, oh, yeah, this dude is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And the closest thing most of us got to have gotten in terms of like prime Mickey Mantle without all the drinking. 
cherish it. Like, because you're unfortunate. I, I was going to say, I'm trying to end this on an optimistic note, but I'm about to say like time comes for us all. You know, <laughs> Entropy is the order. This of is the getting universe. worse, John. <laughs> this is getting worse. Oh my God. Please, please enjoy Mike Trout. He is still mm-hmm. here to make you happy. He's still here to do awesome stuff. Like every now and again, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate Mike Trout. Celebrate Ricky Sargalesh, but also celebrate go. Mike Trout. I like it. John Taylor. Um, we did it. We ended it on a uh, optimistic. A mildly note positive note that is not about the ceaseless passage of time and the <laughs> aging and, and degradation of everything we know and love. I don't think I'm going to go to you for my vows, John. I don't think. I uh, mean, if you want vows that reflect the universe as it actually is. Right. That's what everyone wants. That's and... what everyone wants on their wedding days to be reminded that we are all mortal. Mm hmm and doomed that, and that doom is oh my god um that'd be a good bit the fiance would love it uh a good bit where i just uh talk about all of that and somehow le- blend in mike trout and show you yeah, no, the... everyone's wedding vows should include mike trout if they possibly can i think so i think that's just that's just a good idea you know i agree you, you love someone as much as mike trout loves uh low and in fastballs there you go there you go perfect john taylor Thank you, as always. We can go check you out on Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe if you're not already on Fangraphs.com. Be a subscriber today. Anything you'd like to plug on the site as we wrap up here on a, on yeah. a Tuesday night? Yeah, big thing we got coming is Eric Longenhagen, our prospect dude, doing a top 100 update as the season, as the minor league season is coming to an end. I think the lower affiliates are already done. I think uh, double and triple A go for a couple more weeks, plus the playoffs. So come check that out. That should be either tomorrow or sometime later this week. Uh, beyond that, we're going to have a cool thing by Ben Clemens on Randy Arozarena, who's probably the most chaotic base runner in the entire world. Mm. And something by Dan Samborski on Shane Bieber and Aaron Nola, how they've been arguably the two best pitchers in the second half uh, of the season, if not for a little bit longer. Bieber obviously will be part of the AL Cy Young conversation. I don't know if Nola will make the NL conversation, but still he's had a very good season for the Phillies and will be an important part of their playoff push. So yeah, come check out Fangraphs. Like Chase said, come come join us as a member. Also, uh, we have just added a few more new part-time contributors to the site. I uh, won't be given any names yet, but you might be seeing some new names pop up across the site on social media. Keep an eye on those folks. We're very excited to have them join the group alongside with our new full-time staff writer, Michael Bauman, formerly of The Ringer, I mentioned last week. So yeah, come on over to Fangraphs, uh, join up, get a subscription, help keep us doing cool stuff. And yeah come check us out there you go john taylor thank you as always my friend and i will talk to you not next week because i'll be gone uh no pod next week but um two weeks two you, you know what we'll be doing in two weeks we'll be talking playoffs we will be talking we'll be talking playoffs playoffs, playoffs. playoffs are coming playoffs playoffs <laughs> never gets old john Diddly Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.